fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode 56, and I'm very excited about my guest as well as our new setup which includes these new chairs, these new mics. Uh, I think I just said nude mics. These new mics, uh, the new sound system, which is just so far superior to what we had going on before. Um, but before we get to the guest, I do want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube right now and you would prefer audio only, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many other places like that. If you are listening to me on one of those, however, you can please come check out the show on YouTube and subscribe while you're there if you wouldn't mind. We are very close to hitting a thousand subscribers and I'm very, very stoked about that. So if you've supported the show up to this point, thank you so much. Finally, if you want to reach out to me, maybe with a cool guest idea or some general feedback about the show, hit me up at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. Now, the guest this week is someone who is a very, very funny comedian. He is a staple of the Ottawa comedy community. He is an indigenous comedian as well, and he was here a week ago. <laughs> Before uh, the new equipment. Yes. So, <laughs> which might explain the new equipment. <laughs> do you have deja vu as well right now? I have deja vu. It's it's looking, it's all coming back to me. Yeah, it's all, it, it's very familiar, familiar looking. Familiar feel that the chairs are a little more comfortable. I'll, I'll give you, you that. Okay. I'm glad to hear that feedback about the chairs. Yes. Um, Don actually came last week. We started recording. We had some audio issues, so we scrapped it. And it turned out to be kind of a blessing in disguise because now we've got a, a far superior setup and more comfortable chairs, which you helped me carry in last week, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an honor being a guest on his show. <laughs> yeah, you get, <laughs> to, get to move help the me furniture. Lift heavy shit. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I was a little bummed because we had a really great 20 minute chat. So I'm going to try and reiterate a lot of that. I believe it started with uh, you just telling us a lot about your, you know, your heritage. I was very curious about. All of that. You're Ojibwe. You were telling me about some of the different spellings. You were telling us about uh, the treaties. You knew a ton about that. So I don't know. Do you remember a lot that you would want to reiterate from last week? Because well, it, I mean, you know, we could we can sort of see what uh, what roads it takes us down. We can uh, rev it back up a bit again. Uh, I am happy to be here. I'm, I'm glad to know that there were 54 or 55 people ahead of me that you wanted <laughs> first. So it's nice. 56 is good. But I get two episodes right. We did that half one last time. Yes, so I have that know. in the archives. Like That's I was good. Saying. Good yeah. to know. Yeah, no, I, don't, I mean, I you, you were doing some research. You told me last time, and uh, yeah, it came up about my. Uh, um, Anishinaabe. I was saying that's what we call ourselves. Ojibwe is the term you often hear, and it's I don't. I always like people like just relax about terminology and, and ask. Feel free to ask. Don't worry about looking dumb, um, because we call ourselves Anishinaabe. But my reserve is the Ojibwe's of Onegaming, so it's not like it's not I'm, I'm going to get all offended if you yeah. call me call me Ojibwe. And in the states, Chippewa. Uh, it's really the same thing. I got cousins in Minnesota, across the border, the medicine line, as we call it. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we call ourselves Anishinaabe, but I mean, there's a lot of terms out there. And yeah, my reserve, a Treaty 3 reserve, Northwestern Ontario, it's uh, near Kenora. Treaty 3, we were talking, <clears throat> pardon me, Treaty 3, we were talking about, about that, was signed in 1873 at a place called Northwest Angle, which is still there. All the Anishinaabe leadership at the time gathered, uh, had a, a few days of negotiations with the Crown. And the point I always make about the treaties was, uh, what's really interesting is, for Treaty 3, 
the leadership at the time hired interpreters and note takers who could mm. speak both languages because our people were speaking Anishinaabe Moan is what we call our language. Anishinaabe Moan is the name of the language. Um, and they, were, of course, were, you know, uh, there was uh, the, the crown was speaking English, the, the, the crown's representatives. And what was really interesting is, um, so we hired our own note takers just to make sure that the understanding was clear. And when you look at the notes of the discussions, it's very much about a, a nation-to-nation relationship that, that we were going to share. We were going to recognize each other as nations, but the, the treaties, which I think Canada should be really proud of, you know, we weren't really founded in bullets and bloodshed. It, it was really these agreements which were really about peaceful coexistence. They, they were like sharing mutual respect, mutual recognition, partnership, uh, not giving up the land, but saying, let's share it. We could, you know, it, 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 there's enough here that we can share and sustain for future generations. And then that's what the notes that our note takers took reflect. When you actually read the treaty, which of course was written in English, and if you look at the signatures from the Anishinaabe leaders, that they're clan symbols, you know, because we weren't writing English mm. cursive. Um, but when you read the treaty, uh, the text was clearly just written beforehand. It just says, for each family of four, you will receive X number of hectares, and, uh, you know, they'll, you will have, like, rights to the uh, just the surface minerals, things like that. So, uh, I mean, we always talk about the spirit and intent of the treaty, which is what we understood it to mean. And, you know, there's always been these people who will say, uh, well, it's, you know, yeah, it's elders, it's these old men just handing stories down, and of course they get lost. But we were talking, um, when you look at Treaty 9 in James Bay, Mm -hmm. forget my own note takers, they found the diary of the commissioner who negotiated the treaty, and even his own diary says, yes, we promised them this, that they weren't giving up their land, blah, blah, blah. So even he like was saying we were kind of doing some sharp dealings there in terms of yeah. what we were agreeing to. So I don't know. We always talk about you know, a big part of the solution going forward or reconciliation is, is, is the word of the day is getting back to that original relationship, which was partnership, mutual respect, not, you know, we're going to tell you how you have to run your lives and forget about your languages and your governance systems and your legal systems. No, no, like it's all going to become like the way the way Canada tells you to do it. And that's been a big part of the problem because Canada's policy has just been a disaster and it has been very much um, one size fits all, imposed, this is how you're going to do it. We don't care how you used to do it. So there you go. Um we're, We're caught up. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> We're done. Now you know what to do. <laughs> well, I like what Go you said about um, feeling free to ask about terminology, because we talked about last time just the general terminology yeah. for Indigenous people and what's the right thing to say. Is it Native? Is it First Nations? Uh, we even talked about how some people still use Indian, which seems really kind of ridiculous in 2021. Well, but. at one time, it's been all of the above, right? I mean, it's... Uh, and like you say, Indian... And I know some of my own uh, my own people who will like get offended like that's you know we're not Indians you know that's you know Columbus you know was lost that kind of thing. Yeah. But we have our own organizations: the uh, Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs, the Association of Iroquois Allied Indians. These are our own organizations that that still use it up until you know the eighties. The Assembly of First Nations was the National Indian Brotherhood, which I love. Not only does it say Indian, it says Brotherhood. Like, uh, are women involved? <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> it's they a have a role in this. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, but having said that, I mean, I always say so. Right now, uh, the the umbrella term, if you're talking um, First Peoples anywhere, is Indigenous. Uh, that's kind of that's a that's a catch-all term. In Canada, the Indigenous people would be the Métis. 
the Inuit and First Nations, and First Nations is a very broad term. Like I say, I, I, I'm Anishinaabe, but there's, I'm Ojibwe, but you know, there's, there's Mohawk, there's Cree, yeah. there's Dene, there's Haida, there's like, a, like more than 50 original nations uh, that were in this land. And, uh, you know, whenever, so First Nations itself is about as useful and useless as the term Europeans. You know, you can use it and it means something, yeah, it's but too it's, broad. it's like, uh, you know, if you just said, oh, I'm, I'm from Europe, you'd probably ask, well, where in Europe? And yeah, that's the can same you be more thing. specific? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like, because you know, and in the same way, when you think of the original nations of uh, uh, that were here pre-contact, it was very much. It, it's a bad analogy, but it was like Europe. I mean, you know, like like the Spanish. You know how, how different they are from the Poles or or, or the you know, Portuguese or the English. Yeah, like huge same thing here. Yeah, huge because it's a huge country, right? So the the way of life, uh, the ways of life are different. So when you say First Nations, again, uh, no one generally gets offended, but. Always be specific if you can. So rather mm-hmm. than say, oh, you're First Nations, you can find out, oh, you're Mi'kmaq or you're Haida or you're Anishinaabe or Ojibwe in my case. So that's yep. so that's always the first preferred is uh, just specifically who it is you're talking to. But if you do need these umbrella terms, they're, they're out there. And we won't even get into Indigenous people and Indigenous peoples. That's kind of like getting into the offside rules in, uh, in hockey. <laughs> I mean, we can. I'm just saying, you know, there's just so many layers just to the terminology. And... Uh, and like I say, I, I try to be open because some people, I, I just find, uh, again, indigenous people are kind of starting to lose patience with having to educate settlers. So like someone will be like, you know, don't ask me, you know, read it or something. I don't mind. And, you know, again, I, I, if some people, I can sometimes understand the frustration, but I just think that's the way we learn. And if someone's willing and interested, I, you know, let's, let, let's use that opportunity to, Definitely. to build some understanding. Yeah. Why do you think that uh, they haven't stopped using Indian in some of the organizations that you're speaking of? I, I just think it's been around so long and uh, they may change and they could. I guess some of them maybe just have a comfort level with the name. You know, what's interesting is the the regional group in Saskatchewan, FSIN, which, which used to stand for up until about two years ago, the Federation of Saskatchewan Indian Nations, they kept FSIN, but now it's the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations. So they, they went oh, for that clever. sort of indigenous, like they did the broader Changed term. Changed the acronym a bit. But they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they kept the letters, but but yeah, so, so they took Indian out of there. Some may, um, we'll see. There, there's still, you know, uh, groups that use Aboriginal, and that's not necessarily tremendously offensive. It's just sort of, it's gone to indigenous now because that's, mm. uh, you know, the United Nations and they have the Indigenous Peoples Caucus and the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That's kind of what made indigenous more the, the, the term of comfort that people are using now. So that, you know, it's funny getting into this because it just shows, I mean, like sometimes how difficult the conversations can be that, that you even need to just start with terminology, let alone yeah, what's, so our, what's our history and what are the issues and how do we go forward? You just got to get past that terminology to get going. So it's, you know, it's, it's not always easy conversations, but, uh, uh, there's a lot there. I, that's why I say it. I don't, don't think people should get too hung up on the terminology because there's much deeper stuff, you know, you want to get into. Starting the discussion is always the most important thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that you were saying that we should be proud of the treaties because in my mind, I, like even if the heart was in the right place with the discussions, clearly they didn't follow through. So I don't know. That doesn't make me feel proud of my ancestors or whatever. Well, uh, I take the point and I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't say let's be proud of the written text of the treaty that talks about all these sort of administrative. It makes and them sound legal like con details. men. What happened? You know. But, but if you look at this, well, yeah, they ultimately <laughs> kind, were. Kind of exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Snaked it away. Yeah, but I mean, it's really that spirit and intent, and we would say be proud of the treaty relationship. And of course, we're talking about how how we saw it and understood it because it really was about welcoming each other. Uh, you know, the the Haudenosaunee, the Mohawks have a two row wampum, which is a symbol of. Uh, if you look at it, it's a beaded wampum. It's two canoes going down uh, the same river, but they, they're each in their own canoe. And the whole idea was we can travel side by side, but we don't interfere with each other. So, you know, that's a good example of a... Um, what is a wampum? Uh, what does it call it, sorry? It, it's, it's, a, it's a wampum belt, wampum, which, which is, okay. it's, it's like a um, beaded and it's like hard beads, almost like shells. Um, okay. And it, it is, it, it is it, it's, you could, if you can imagine a belt, but it, it's rows of beads. And then it's got hmm. some um, uh, sort of like strings at the end. And uh, I could not do justice to it, but if you read up on it or if you... You go to uh, like Aquasosne somewhere nearby and you can look at them. Uh, the design is fairly like, uh, I don't want to say simple. But straightforward. It's straightforward, but it, it's so deep. Like there's a meaning in why, you know, how, why the shells are so many apart and things like that. That's very so cool. it, it's, it's, it's very rich. Yeah. It's just yeah. like you can sort of see, clearly see what it means, but then there's, there's a, a rich, it goes deeper too. So it's, it's really interesting to have someone explain it, uh, uh, what it all means. But that really is the image, you know, these two canoes side by side. We can travel together, but we don't get in each other's way and you don't try to steer my boat and I don't try to get into your boat unless we're invited. But that was the, you know, that image I think really says a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's one thing I wanted to say that I did mention last time that I had found in my research and I thought was really interesting was that uh, the natives didn't sort of view land in the same way as this thing to be owned and property. And it was more like sunlight or air or these other essential parts of the earth, you know? So I guess the concept was lost on them a bit in the way that the Europeans viewed owning a piece of land, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's probably why those treaty discussions were a little difficult at times. Or, I mean, well, I'm sure they were difficult in a lot of ways, but I mean, sometimes there were just concepts that that didn't work. And and I think you nailed it. Um, it's the difference between property and territory. Because some people would say, oh, well, the natives didn't believe in owning land, so, you know, why did they have a problem giving it up? They, they never said they owned wars. it. But we had, yeah, we yeah. had wars with other nations prior to contact over territory and boundary, you know, boundaries were changing all the time. And, uh, um, you know, the the Cree up around the, the James Bay region, their families have trap lines, which was their territory. And I you know, this was a community, so they weren't fighting amongst themselves, but it was very clear that this was my area. So it just wasn't a sense of, I own this and this is for me. You know, mm. a, a, a lot of our folks will say, um, you only own the, own the land up until the second you're born. And once you're born, it's then your job to take care of it for the next generations. And that's why everything we look at, we look at seven generations ahead and we learn from seven generations past, but you're always making decisions based on what's going to be good seven generations How did they come now. to that number, seven, do you think? Seven in, in uh, well, I know for Anishinaabe and for a lot of, uh, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but for, but for other uh, Indigenous groups and First Nations, seven is, it's, uh, it's a number that comes up a lot. Like, for example, we talk about the seventh fire uh, prophecy, and each fire was essentially a generation, and we're kind of in the seventh fire right now, and mm. it's, this is when things will change. Like, there will, there will be the original times, then there will be times of hardship, and the seventh fire is the time when, uh, uh, you know, th- that we're going to transition, and it could, could go either way, and it's up to us to try to make it uh, go the best way. But it's also, hmm. um, 
the number four as well uh, is like, uh, you know, in, if you're a Christian, three, of course, is a, is a big number. There's a lot of threes in Christianity. Uh, in, in our spirituality, four comes up a lot. And that kind of makes sense because there's four seasons. Uh, we saw four True. directions. There's even four kinds of drums uh, that are used in ceremony. There's four kinds of water. Uh, so I, uh, A little off topic, but I think that uh, in Chinese culture, four is like a bad omen. If, if people have told me it means death or some sort of... Uh, negative thing. Right, It's yeah. interesting just to see the different yeah. cultures will have different meanings for values. Well, and you know, yeah, exactly. And you know, getting away from uh, numbers, uh, some of the elders in our community, because you know, contact wasn't that long ago when you think of generations. It wasn't sort of like, you know, a thousand years ago, right? Yeah. And so there are elder, there are stories brought down. And one of the stories I've heard is some of the original discussions with the Jesuits who first came over, because of course these were, you know, they their mission was to go into these sort of, you know, tough lands and, you know, territories and try to, of course, convert everybody. Yeah. Uh, but some of these early discussions, you know, amongst the Jesuits, uh, some of our elders will talk about the stories they heard from their, like, great-great-grandparents about how they would meet each other and they would, you know, the Jesuits would be like, oh, and, you know, like, if you convert to this way, you know, when when you when your spirit leaves, you'll go to heaven and you'll sing God's praises. And our people were like, can I hunt there? No, 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 no. You sing God's praises. Oh, will, will my animals be there? No, no, no. It's, you, you know, you sing God's praises, worship God. And they're like, okay, so why am I converting to this again? Like, it just didn't sound yeah, yeah. like, you know. It didn't, didn't compute, it, really. It didn't sound like something that was really all that desirable or fun, you know. So Can yeah. I ask you, um, and maybe this is different for different First Nations groups, but what is their sort of main view on the afterlife? Main, well, it's, it's interesting. Um, two things. I think the first big point is, a lot of the, um, we call it the Madewan. That's the Anishinaabe spirituality. My father, uh, you know, if he was here, he could just, like, he's he's immersed in, in the Madewan. I, I am nowhere near as knowledgeable as he is about it. But the first thing is, a lot of the Madewan and the teachings are about the here and now. It really is about living this life. It okay. wasn't, and whereas in Christianity, and this is not a criticism, and I, I probably don't... Uh, you know, I can't speak to Christianity probably as much as I can't speak to them a day when, but you know, it is very much about doing things now so that, you know, you're a good person and you go on to like what heaven or whatever your concept of heaven is. Yeah. Uh, for, for us, our spirituality and teachings were much more focused on this life and it wasn't really so much about what happened, you know, that you, that you the do afterlife. these things yeah. to, to then get into this afterlife. I mm -hmm. mean, you do these things because this is the way you keep the circle strong. This is the way you keep the community strong. This is the way you keep everyone uh, uh, strong, but by doing good, decent things, you know, living in a good way. Um, but there is, if you go to a traditional funeral, and I've been to a few, um, there are instructions given to the departed uh, about what's going to happen. And they, uh, you know, there are four levels uh, in the cosmos, basically, that you will then go through, and there's instructions you have to give to the spirit because there are points where they can get stuck along the way if 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 they if they don't follow the instructions. And we talk about uh, going across the shore. That's kind of the last stage. Is you go across the shore to the other side, and that's where you'll see all your family and friends, uh, your animals that you love. Basically, that every, sounds like heaven, you though. loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? And, and in some of the teachings, and you can imagine how this would have freaked out the Jesuits, you get across the lake, uh, 
you see what's coming towards you is almost like a huge log, like it looks like a huge log on the river, but it, but it, it's, a, it's a serpent, it's a snake that then takes you across. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> we didn't have that Garden of Eden story or anything like yeah. that. So, but you can imagine, the Jesuits' heads must have exploded. They associated heard, snakes you know, with They would have thought, oh, this is, yeah. well, yeah, they were the devil's way, right? Yeah. yeah this is the, when, of course, this was just one of, you know, we look at, uh, I don't want, you know, like, again, I'm not immersed in it, but we just look at all creation, like, like we're yeah. the two-leggeds, we're not above creation. Uh, and even then, like in terms of race, it's not about, you know, black, white. It's like, we're the two-leggeds. We're, we're mm. all one part of creation. There's the four-leggeds. There's the ones who fly, the ones that crawl. So it's all part of creation and we're all connected. And it's not like, you know, we didn't see ourselves as above that. In fact, we saw ourselves as part of it. And you can imagine trying to live in Canada, uh, you know, a thousand years ago, you know, when we didn't have the sort of tech we have now, uh, you know, you really needed to respect creation and the environment and uh especially stuff uh, that can kill you yeah especially stuff that can kill you yeah, yeah. if you don't know what you're doing you're you're yeah you're, well you're, that's one thing i've always gone. noticed about uh native american culture is that animals seem to be very respected and uh, a large part of that uh the beliefs from what i know just from a distance you always see the artwork always has you know orcas and other animals bears and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that so i was expecting maybe that had something to do with the religion religious aspects of that culture well yeah and it's really like it's more um not to uh get too picky but it's more the spirituality of it and, and it really is we're all connected and everything is here for a purpose and not just for our purpose not not just for us to you know to use it but everything has a role and it's the kind of stuff that um over the last 20 years has become really you know commonsensical now in, in Western thinking, like, oh, right, you know, if you if you wipe things out over here, it affects things over there. Yeah. Or if you wipe out a species, that affects all these other species. Yeah. Everything is connected. It's not just sort of, um, uh, you know, a First Nation sort of, you know, um, uh, whatever abstract view. I mean, it's just, we're seeing that this is, that this is real. Cause and effect. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but I like that vibe of almost like the force that you also see in Buddhism a lot where everything is, is so connected and, mm -hmm. and it seems like they have a, a similar focus on um, living in the present and putting a focus on on the life and the moment you're in right now. That's a big part of right, Buddhism, yeah, meditation. Yeah. and Yeah, that's right. Well, I, you know, this has nothing to do with being uh, First Nations, but I just think Earth, like there is a will to life on this planet. You know yes. what I mean? Everywhere, it's the classic, it's the grass growing through the concrete or when they found, you know, those vents at the bottom of the ocean floor that are, you know, churning out whatever, you know, these super hot gases and, and lava basically. And there's life around those things, you know? So, I mean, just this, so maybe there's other planets out there that are the same, but man, there is just a will to life on this planet. Oh, definitely. I'll always persevere. Yeah. 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 Everywhere you, the most, you know, the toughest, harshest places you, you'll, you know, there's something there. There's some kind of vegetation or moss or something. Yeah, like if someplace gets destroyed, a couple of years later, you see the weeds cracking through yeah. the pavement and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. for uh, sure. One thing I, I like about Native culture, and I, I will use the term Indian here because I simply don't know how else to say this, but um, like the Indian names where you'll get like uh, runs with the, uh, wolves or that kind of thing. Uh, what is the story behind that? Like what is the... Um, when do you get that in your life? Is that something that happens with, like when you hit puberty and you're growing up as a man? Or it, it, it's going to be different depending which First Nation you're talking about. But for uh, the Anishinaabe, you usually get one when you're born. Okay. There, there's usually a uh, elder or that will uh, you know have a dream or a vision, hmm. and uh, they'll give you your name. But then you can also get them later in life. I've got two. Um, 
for what are yours, Irish if nomination. you don't mind me asking? Pebom Nagabo and Shonya Gweneb. What do those mean? The first one kind of means uh, the one, <laughs> like we didn't use the word administer, but the one who tends to the uh, the the conduct and the affairs of the nation. So I always joke that it's like the administrator, right? Like I'm the office worker. Well, isn't that very relevant to some of the stuff you've accomplished in your life well, too, right? And working uh, for the AFN and stuff, right? Uh, well, maybe. Like, I mean, I've never looked at it that way, but yeah, it really is one who tries to tries to help. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't say one who helps, but one who tries to help. And then the other one um, came more from a vision. Shonya uh, Gweneb means gold feather, and it was a vision uh, of a, a cloud that looked like a feather, uh, you know, just sort of like a, I guess, you know, a sort of a, a, a long, a, a longer cloud and with the sun breaking through behind it. So that's hmm. where gold feather came from. Interestingly, when I tell some Anishinaabe people, especially people who are learning it now, which I full credit if, if they're learning the language, but they'll go, Shonya, that, that, that means money. And I go, well, uh, that is the word we use for it now, but it's because it means gold. That's yeah. how it became money. Yeah. So people think like like money feather, like, no, no, it's, it's gold feather. But, gold but, feather or money feather would both be amazing Bond but, villains. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they were, weren't they? Well, gold finger and <laughs> well, money but, penny. But money feather was his, yeah, his, yeah. his indigenous secretary. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we did talk about you growing up in Winnipeg from the age of five and on and how you had gone to uh, a cat. No, it wasn't Catholic school, but no, a it was just a public typical school. suburban. Yeah. Yeah. Public so, school. And we yeah. talked about how important education is and the fact that you learned about assholes like John A. McDonald, I'm sure, but uh, <laughs> oh, not yeah. uh, your, your culture was not being taught at all. And I, I wanted to kind of ruminate on that a bit. Yeah. Well, well that I always think is the big problem. And I always say, you know, well, first of all, of course there's racism in Canada, there's racism everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. But I just think like in Canada, it, it's, it's, there's just a lot more ignorance and I'm always careful to say, I don't mean that in the pejorative, like you're stupid. I, I mean, like people just don't know. And that's a big fault is the education system didn't teach anyone this stuff. And I know that because I went to a suburban Winnipeg school, you know, and, uh, and yeah, that was a long time ago, but I'll still, like, I'll talk to sometimes university classes and they may have a bit more knowledge, but clearly they're not getting it. And again, I don't blame them because I, I don't expect everyone to run out on their own time and start reading up on, you know, the, like, uh, you know, indigenous history and, uh, real Canadian history, if we yeah. can call it that. But then the problem is, um, then there's no understanding. And I always say, you know, I learned that the, you know, you learned there were people here before yeah. the settlers came over, and then oh, and then Cabot and uh, Louis you know, Car Riel, Car I Car remember Cartier um, and them. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, then you learn they came over, and then there's a hundred years of just what they did and not what First Nations were doing or how they were treating exactly. First Nations. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, boom! Fast forward to now, and people will see like some of the um, the poverty or the people living in poor social conditions or the indigenous homeless person. Mm -hmm. And without that knowledge, I mean, again, I can't blame people if 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 they if all they conclude is well. I guess, you know, they just can't make it in the modern world. You know, their ways just, you know, didn't, you know, aren't, aren't taking them forward. When in fact, uh, without getting into all of it, I mean, there's all, like there was this real brutal attempt, you know, which we're learning more about now, uh, you know, to wipe out and eradicate, you know, uh, indigenous people literally, but then also by getting, if you get rid of their culture and their languages of any, anyone, you could be Spanish, you name it, like, yeah. uh, you, erasing, you get rid literally. of that identity. Yeah. You, you get rid of that identity. Um, like all our songs, stories, our ceremonies, our laws are all in our languages. Uh, you get rid of the cultures like they tried to do at the residential schools along with the languages. Um, you know, not only like would, do you get rid of the person, 
But what we went through for a couple generations um, was just the profound um, impacts that has on people and families and communities when you try to do that. It's like someone... Uh, it's it's like if you as an individual were just repeatedly abused for years, and then when that's done, you know your abuser or someone else says, ah, "Get over it." Yeah, right. You know, just, just oh, what's up go, with go, you? Why go, can't go, you go go, go yeah. to university or get a job or something? Yeah. Like, come on, man, pull yourself. Like, it's like, yeah, we've all you know, we, we fall, we we skin our knee. You can get up and get over it. But this is like I say, this would generational be like years. trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, uh, like generations. And as an individual, just thinking of it as an individual, if you were just constantly like 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 well, has and happened to some. We children. all know that if you're a victim of trauma, that often will the cycle will repeat itself when people have children. So if that happens for a few generations in a row, you've got people who are never growing up with the proper love because the people that raised them didn't get love. And, and love is so essential to human existence and to, to fostering healthy mindsets. And, and that, and that's a really good point, you know, for better and for worse, we often learn how to parent from our parents. You know, Mm -hmm. when you find out people who were abused and then abuse their kids, you think, Oh, how could they do that? They must know. But I mean, and, and there's a whole other, there's a probably a thousand psychological aspects to it but it's you know it's because you you were like brought up in unfortunately in in a in, in an unfortunate way and and that does get passed on some people can break the cycle but you can't just assume you no. know everyone should be able to break the cycle i mean how would most anyone fare if their parents were taken away from them and then you were raised by scary people who don't think the way you think and are trying to force you to think the way they think and yep. erase everything that you've basically learned up to that point um, like all of that just sounds god awful, and then now we're finding out the extent of the even more horrendous thing, lengths they took that to. Yeah. Um, and I know you had mentioned last time that your father went to a residential school. So did that have a big impact on you growing up? Did that trauma? Could you feel that sort of from him as uh, a parent? Yeah, yeah, and he, and he was the generation. So you know, like I always say, it's his story to tell. But he's spoken about it publicly. He's written about it. You know, the, the um, there's a book of uh, survivor stories that was put out by the Aboriginal Healing Foundation a few years ago. So he's written that. So I'm not so, like I, you know, I will. I'm only comfortable talking about his story because he's done that. Uh, but he was taken when he was four years old, too young to go to school, but they were taking all his brothers. So in the cold calculus of the day, it was like, yeah, we may as well take him too, you know? Oh, so, Jesus. so, so they took him and his three brothers. I shouldn't say Jesus. Oh my God. That's just a natural reaction, but <laughs> no, I'm like, that's I know. the worst name I could well, say right here. <laughs> well, and you know, not to get depressing, but you know, you're a parent, right? Like, can yeah. you imagine knock on the door? There's an RCMP officer or two, some guy from the government and like we're taking your kids. People like, who are supposed to be imagine? protecting yeah, like, the neighborhood. You, yeah. And, and I mean, I always say, you know, we got to remember uh, that uh, the children, but you also got to think like just the trauma on the families, like the mm. parents too, because they knew how bad the schools were. It wasn't like they thought they were you know, shipping them off to summer camp. Like, so, you know, you hear the stories about uh, children like being sent to run into the woods or hiding under the beds. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was no illusion there about about what was going on. So it, so I just think as well, I mean, as much as we think of the children and we should, I just always think too, man, for parents, that must have just been terrible having your kids uh, uh, taken away. Oh God. But yeah, so, so he was taken and yeah, I mean, you know, he sadly experienced a lot of the abuse that, that, that you hear about. Um, was he ever able to connect with his parents again at a later date or no? Uh, well, his, uh, his mother, yes, yes. Okay. His father had passed away, but yeah, he connected. Mm. His mother was a very oh. strong woman. Uh, but, and he was 
Yeah, he went there for a few years. He went to two different residential schools, but one of the ones he went to, you know, again, when we talk about all the things that are now coming to light, that, by the way, First Nations have known for a long time, Mm. uh, just no one really listened, uh, was he was at a school called St. Mary's, which about five or six years ago, it came to light that some of the residential schools, they had done experiments on the students. Like Nazis. Uh, well, it was like they realized they did nutrition experience ex- experiments Good because Lord. they realized this is a perfect control group. You know, we've got two, you know, uh, we've got one group getting the exact same treatment so we can like divide them up or if we'll use this group as the control group and this group to experiment on. So it was nutrition experiments. And he had... Bad uh, dental health his whole life. Um, in fact, he lost all his teeth at 30. He had dentures at the age of 30. And a lot of this goes back to they were withholding nutrition from certain kids and, and experimenting with different diets. At an age where you really need a lot of fortifying Where you need, like, proper nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, this is, that's just one of uh, uh, many things that, that, that have come to light that, again, most Canadians don't know. And, you know, the only thing I look at, you know, now we've got the... Um, uh, the unmarked graves, which again, a lot of the First Nations knew they were there. Um, That's what I was going to ask you. The unmarked graves are obviously shocking, but you do mention that the First Nations people were aware of a lot of what was going on. Do you think to this extent, or are they still being like blown I, away here? I don't know if they knew to the extent, but they knew. I mean, you know, the most obvious, like, tragic thing was kids who never came home. Yeah. And, you know, they were, oh, well, they ran away or, you know, maybe But going from to that this. to these mass burial but, but sites. But they knew. Like, and I mean, we're hearing now about, you know, children, because, you know, that was the thing about the schools. I mean, there, there was so much misunderstanding by some folks. I think some of it was uh, honestly guilt or not wanting to admit that uh, a, a Canadian government would do this kind of thing. There were so many people who, who for the longest time, you know, well, they meant well. Like, yeah, they were a little misguided when they set them up, but they meant well. And they didn't. You know, we know now, like, you know, we've got to kill the, in, in, uh, kill the Indian in the child. Or Johnny McDonald, you know, if you look at Hansard, the House of Commons transcripts, you know, saying, you know, as, as long as the Indian speaks his language and knows his spirituality, even if you give an education, he's still just, you know, a savage with some, uh, some education. So this was really the attitude, and it really was. It was not for our own good. And the other thing... The way you know it wasn't for, for, for our own good was, you know, my father talked about how in the mornings they'd get some basic, you know, reading, writing, some math, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then the bulk of the day was the boys were working on the, like on the farm or, or tending the property or doing, you know, repairs. It's manual labor. Manual labor, yeah. free, free manual labor. <laughs> and uh, the women were, the girls were learning how to sew you know, and uh, and do laundry and things like that. So setting them up to only ever get they clearly to like here. Yeah. were not training the next generation of engineers and no, artists. The next and generation lawyers. of janitors. They were training, and, yeah, yeah, like your next generation of mean. Well, I don't want to insult anyone's job, but yeah, but they weren't. They weren't clearly saying we're going to give you opportunity now. You know, to be anything you want to be. No, yeah. it was really like you know you're going to be you know working on the farm or something like that. So so again, all these things that I, I used to hear a lot that was really frustrating. You know. They, they meant well, or they, they were just trying to give them an education. Or the worst, of course, which I think is, I'm hoping we're hearing, it, it, if, I hate to look for good things coming out of some of these, these horrific things like the unmarked graves, but I hope I never hear again, because I used to hear this, oh, my dad got strapped in school and he didn't, he didn't ask for compensation or healing or whatever. Like yeah. it was just so, so beyond that. So Yeah, it's next level. So oh I, I hope we, yeah. I mean, you know, 
I guess you're probably always going to hear that. And there's probably a, you know, a generation that, that is, because you, you know, there's that Senator Lynn Bayak who other, there was a lot of good, even, I don't know if you saw the other day, Manitoba, the province of Manitoba, their indigenous relations, uh, um, uh, person in, in the provincial government uh, quit because the premier, Brian Pallister, was saying, well, colonization, the people had good intentions who did this. They came here to build. He was basically defending colonization. Um, and so his Indigenous Relations uh, secretary quit. He hired a new one, uh, a fellow named Eric Lajamodia, I believe, who is Métis, and in his opening press conference, opening pre- first day on the job, indig- and I think it was Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation is the name of the of, of the of the position he got. He was asked about the residential schools, and he said, "Well, I think the people who set them up w- were trying to make sure these children got education." Oh, so, God. like I say, I I, I was just I thought of that because I was just saying how I hope I never hear that again. But I just heard it the other day, and then the leader of the opposition, Wab Canoe, who was there, um, and he is a. Um, uh, honorary uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, representative. So he basically has an, you know, an, an oath and a duty to speak up when he hears that kind of stuff. Nice. Got up at the press conference and just stood right by him and said, you cannot say that. Yeah. Like, that is not the case. And he goes, it's not historical revisionism to talk about the truth of these schools. Um, so he kind of schooled them publicly, which was great. <laughs> but it shows that rhetoric is still floating it's around. It's still there. You know? it's, yeah, yeah, I yeah. know. That's why, like I say, I mean, the, it'll probably be around for a while. It might even be around forever. Like, I don't know if people just, uh, you know, they just can't believe Canada did this or, or there's some sort of collective guilt around it. I don't know what it is, but I mean, you know, truth and reconciliation, uh, like the name says, you need truth if you're going to have reconciliation. In fact, you need truth before there's reconciliation. Yeah. I want to, uh, before I forget, I want to point out that uh, some of the music and stuff that I found, uh, I mentioned last time, was Willie Dunn is an oh, artist yeah, that yeah. I've really been loving. He has a song called I Pity the Country, and also a song about Chani Wanjak, which if you don't know that story, look it up. Um, Gord Downey from The Hip also did a graphic novel and a CD all about yeah, that. Yeah, The Secret Path, yeah. Yeah, and he had to run away, uh, or he tried to, and obviously didn't make it in the in the harsh winter and uh, it's a horrible, sad story, but the song uh, by Willie Dunn is is moving. I heard it on the radio just driving home after work one day, and uh, I'm so glad I did, because it, it's weird. It has like a, a beautiful, positive sound, melodically speaking, and then the lyrics are just so haunting that it really, oh my God, it just devastates you. But <laughs> it, people need to hear it, because, you know, for me, it really started cranking the gears, and not that I didn't care at all anymore, but yeah. the more I can expose myself to that kind of stuff, the happier I am to be able to to move in that direction, you know? Yeah, well, and the thing is, too, I mean, art's a great medium, right? Like, you know, like whether it's uh, comedy, whether it's music, um, I've always felt, you know, that's why artists are so important. And in a lot of movements, like even the civil rights movement in the United States, artists were so important. Part of it is because, and I think, you know, what, what Gord Downey did um, in his final concert with the hip and the uh, the Cheney Wenjack story, you know, the his audience is people, maybe some of them are totally up to speed on Indigenous issues or, or, into it or are Indigenous themselves. But then there's a lot of people who aren't, but so he can reach those people or artists or music or comedy you can reach people, you know, any, I always think anyone who walks into a lecture on indigenous issues is probably halfway there anyways. They probably got an open mind. They yeah, probably, they, they, they want to learn. Exactly. Yeah. They, they care. Whereas, you know, art can reach people who may not care, not because they're bad people. It's just not something they got a family to raise and they've got a job and they like sports and they're just not into like learning yeah. a bunch of history. And I get that. I get that. You know, we've all got uh, lives we want to lead. 
But that's, again, art can play a role in reaching those people and getting them to think, and I think that that's really important. I do not <laughs> approach my comedy in that way, but again, that's that's another avenue where people can, uh, you know, be exposed to different ideas. And uh, I just think, like, like again, like, there's such, uh, art can be so potent, especially in getting word out to people who... Um, well, it's like you said, everyone year. learns differently, like you said. So some people, that's how you're going to reach them, you know, yeah. through a poem and, or a song. Or... And there's so many good, like you say, uh, like more, I think more than ever, because, you know, indigenous young people are the fastest growing population in Canada. Like it's the youngest, fastest growing segment of the population in Canada. Hmm. So it's no surprise you're seeing a lot more indigenous artists and not just traditional music and traditional music is, is great. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's our original, the original music of this land, but you know, like hip hop, yeah. uh, hard rock, uh, you name it. Rolling Stone just had uh, in their hot issue, they had Crownland, uh, which is that uh, they're not indigenous, but one of the it's a it's a duo, and one of them is is Mi'kmaq, Two Spirit. Um, so you know you got these bands like just it's not just sort of like uh, you got to be into like uh, the powwow trail. I love this stuff. I love seeing that uh, genre hopping kind of like. Uh, I'm trying to think of another example. There's a band called Modest Yahoo. It's a bunch of Jewish guys that play reggae. You yeah. know, stuff like that. I mean, I think that's the cool thing about music is it's not, you can't claim this music is only for these people. It's yeah, if you feel yeah. it and you can uh, I'll tell put you, your I, soul into it. I was the age when Public Enemy, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Shortly after NWA, yeah. straight out of Compton came late out. Late 80s then, yeah. It would have been late 80s. And I remember thinking, I don't want to sound like I was super prescient, but I remember thinking, I, I thought, you know what? our youth are going to be all over this stuff because they were growing up. I mean, they were the generation that came through wanting to sort of reclaim and revitalize yeah. and, uh, and, and be proud of who they were after, after so many, you know, years of people feeling ashamed about, uh, yeah. about being indigenous, they wanted to be proud. And so public enemy with, with their political, like, and radical and sometimes wrong, but, but hard political stance. And, uh, so rage against the machine is, and, is very yeah, similar. And then NWA with the whole sort of, you know, we're going to celebrate you know, being like, you know, like being thugs basically yeah. or gangsters. I just thought both those things, I thought, man, this is going to pull a lot of our, our youth in. And, and it did. And they yeah. really, and, and I think- Tribe Called Red. Yeah, Tribe Called Red. Yeah. And there's a, just, uh, you know, a whole, suddenly a whole explosion of uh, uh, indigenous hip hop artists and uh, uh, doing their own thing. But, uh, but it, was, it makes it, sense, yeah. And, 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 it's, and again, it's good to see because, you know, people, like, like we're everywhere, right? And like, I mean- it, we're into hip hop. We're not just into, you know, the, the traditional crafts and some people do that, but I mean, you're seeing now artists who are working with traditional mediums, but doing new things with them or, or you know, if we're on music, like Tanya Tagak, right. Who came from a throat singing background, Inuit throat singing, cool. but she's probably much closer to, um, you know, Bjork than anything, if you listen to her, uh, her music. So I just think it's great that people see that, that it's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not just all traditional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've always been like early adapters. You know, if a new technology came along, we didn't refuse to use, go, oh, well, no, that's not the way we do it. But if it was useful and helpful, you, you know, we, we would adapt it. Yeah. So, I mean, every culture, right. It's not static. Another great artist is uh, Buffy St. Marie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been around a yeah, long time. Yeah, she's old school, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to meet her a few times oh, from right uh, hosting uh, 
APTN's um, Aboriginal Day Live, uh, which is now National cool. Indigenous Peoples Day Live. They changed the name of the, we should do the whole Aboriginal Indigenous thing. It's now National Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah, I got to meet her there and it was great. Um, I was hosting with a uh, APTN broadcaster named Patrice Musso. Uh, they, they change up the hosts every year and there's always a few stages and they cut back and forth, you know, amongst the stages. And she was on last, of course. Uh, and as we're introducing her, she's everything. She just ran over and she, like this on the live broadcast and gave both of us a hug. And she's like, I, I'm not biggie. Myself. She goes, you're so beautiful. I love seeing you guys doing this. And then she ran back. Like, <laughs> I think she great. was really into the moment. Yeah, and it was great. Yeah, and it was, uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, no, just, uh, you know, getting to meet uh, an icon like that who's been oh, like so around cool. since like, what, the 60s, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. The yeah. hippie era and yeah. stuff, yeah. Sesame Street, I remember. <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to clarify. Um, so is it Cheney Wanjack or I was Ch- saying Chani Wanjack. I wanted I, to know because you had pronounced it. I think it's Chaney, but it? uh, okay. we should double check. They called yeah. him Charlie, though, in a lot yeah. of, uh, I think the song was called Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also that thing I said about janitors, now I'm worried I'm going to get an email from a janitor. Like, I know. Well, talking I, shit. My, hey, my, my cousin's a maintenance engineer, so. Well, I love <laughs> I mean, that I mean, line. That, that's why I say I didn't want to, um, you know, insult anyone's job or, or passion. Yeah. And I guess that's why I said, I mean, the point was they weren't saying you know, the world is now open to you. Like that, that, that's all I meant was it wasn't like if you had a, you know, you wanted to be a, a mathematician or that's not what they were preparing Or an astronaut. For. Or, an yeah. astronaut. Or, um, I love that line from Half-Baked uh, where Dave Chappelle plays, uh, well, he says, I'm a custodian or a janitor if you want to be a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is actually a great time because we have been talking about the residential school stuff. Um, first of all, uh, to display some of the new tech we've got going on here, uh, my dad, why don't you say hi to the audience for a second here? Is your dad part of the new tech? Is that what well, now he has a mic, finally. <laughs> ah, there yeah. you go. I'm an old dad with new tech. <laughs> there you go. Um, Original gangster. Well, my dad put a lot of uh, research into finding the, the best equipment for this upgrade, and it really is just awesome. So uh, why don't you give yourself a round of applause there, Dad? <laughs> First, I have to find the applause button. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, that's at our disposal now. Um, but also something Yeah, that- I, I told him as well, uh, he's got the rim shot. I said, yeah, when we're talking about residential schools, be sure to punch <laughs> that in a lot. <laughs> well, no, one other cool thing we programmed in was um, you a joke that you had done uh, about growing up, uh, just about Winnipeg. Some of you may even be aware that Winnipeg itself, the name is a Cree word that means, but the summers are nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was a really funny joke. You know? <laughs> I'd forgotten about that joke. Like, there you go. Like there's jokes. You, well, I, was, I guess when you've been doing it a while too, that I actually, it, it's weird. You think because there would have been a time that I, that would have been a regular part of the act. Yeah. Uh, at it least comes for back whatever. And I've had people before go, oh yeah, I, I liked your joke about bloody blonde. I'm like, you know what? I'd forgotten about that joke. And Me, again, hey, it, it means you're writing a lot of stuff though. Well, I could probably be writing a lot more, but um, yeah, I, but sometimes, I mean, it, and it's not because it's not because they stopped working. It's just because you just sort of move on and you stop doing you them get sick before of doing you forget the same it. Shit. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But no, I had to, you know, you talk about uh, forgetting jokes. I mean, now that we're coming out of the uh, the second lockdown, like when I was um, uh, headlining at uh, Yucks the first weekend they reopened, I had to, for the first time in a long time, like uh, set list and then actually run through it, which I had not done for years because, you know, normal, like, because it's not just, well, it is, okay, how did I say that again? But then in comedy generally, like, okay, and what was the rhythm or sort of the cadence? How did I deliver that? Like, you know, you're not acting like a Shakespearean actor up there, but comedy's often got a little rhythm to it. Yeah, you have to have an awareness. yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, and that can change in terms of, 
big crowd, small crowd, responsive crowd, not as responsive crowd, but it's still there. You know, it just, maybe you're playing it out a bit more or a little less, who knows. But that was the thing that I find I lose more, um, I guess, probably like a musician or a dancer if you take a long break, right? You're sort of like, you got to get your chops back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's one of the reasons I'm glad that we're doing this today as opposed to last weekend, because last weekend I was prepping for the the competition. Yeah, congrats, by the way. Thank you, yes. I got the audience vote, which was super cool. I didn't know anybody in the audience. so uh, That's legit. To get that broad appeal feel, you know. Yeah, it was nice. Um, But now this weekend I feel very, you know, uh, a lot of levity in my soul from, you know, I've got a while now till round two and I can <laughs> add a, a few more jokes and all that. Yeah. Soak it in. Yeah. Enjoy it. Exactly. Well, I, you know, contests, um, this, uh, this is no buzzkill I hope for anybody, but I just find con- like comedy, like have fun regardless, but I mean, contests especially have fun because yeah. you know, they're, they're just such strange animals. I, I always say that comedy competitions are like a battle of the bands but a battle of the bands where they allow jazz, hip hop, rock and oh, roll, that's such a great classical. Yeah. Like, how do you say, oh, you, that guy was one funnier than that well, person? Well, especially or when like, you it's consider just so many different styles. Right? At, at least with the Yucks one, uh, first and second place in these early rounds is being chosen by a judge or possibly two judges. So that person might be into the rap of comedy yeah. or the, and they might hate jazz comedy. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And so you might just get screwed because you're the wrong genre for that judge. For that, for that judge on that night. Exactly. Or the audience and, even. And, and uh, a lot of times they're not necessarily comics themselves. So they don't kind of understand the invisible stuff, you know? And, and like a lot of audiences like is, oh, they, they like the dirty stuff or oh, they don't like the dirty stuff. And you know, yeah, so yeah. it's just, it's just so subjective. And then of course, you know, the classic thing, the, the story, the classic story about the comedy contest is in, uh, in San Francisco, I guess this probably would have been like the early seventies where the guy who won the San Francisco comedy competition that year, uh, then went on to run a successful, a fairly successful used car business. And number two was Robin Williams. So, I mean, oh. that says all you need to know about comedy <laughs> contests. <you> know? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we move into comedy, cause I do want to talk about oh, yeah. your comedy career. Great. Um, my dad, when we were doing Zoom, eventually I, I started realizing, hey, my dad's not here anymore, but I should get him to provide a question for each episode that I ask the guest. But now he's here, so I say let's keep this segment going, but he can just ask you himself. So, um, And I know his question related to uh, a lot of what we were talking about earlier, and it was similar to something I was going to ask you too, so hit it, Dad. <laughs> Is it gonna, like, what is the capital of South Dakota or something? No, 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 this is... Uh... No, nothing so simple. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, he wrote a great... Uh, it's, little... it's Pierre, by the way. Well... <laughs> Well, last week when you were here uh, in our aborted attempt, um, you know, I learned just from listening to you and it made me go look into it a bit more. And I, I find myself having quite an emotional reaction. But anyway, as a Canadian, I'm reading this because I, I had to get my thoughts together. As a Canadian who has for much of my life had only a peripheral awareness of the poor situation and unfair treatment of Indigenous people in our country, I personally feel a new heightened understanding as a result of the finding of the unmarked graves and more hearing the personal stories of life at the residential schools and of the mission of the government uh, when they established those schools. To me, it equates to an attempt at cultural genocide perpetuated by the government of Canada and the Roman Catholic Church. I see the recent events as a turning point as hopefully Canadians at large are having a similar epiphany to what I've had. I'm hopeful that this is going to be a catalyst resulting in truly progressive change in the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians. 
but I'm also fearful that nothing will change if we all sit back and let this fade from the headlines over time. So that's my thinking. But Don, how do you and your Indigenous family and friends feel about this? Do you, well, do you, <laughs> do you have a feeling of hope that finally Canada as a whole is gaining true awareness of this dark history and the current challenges that will lead to real and lasting change? Or are, is it anger and despair at the exposure of yet another example of how Indigenous peoples have been mistreated and a belief that once again, nothing will change? Good question. Great question. I, um, you know, having worked on these issues for decades at this point, you know, I was a broadcaster with CBC for a while, not exclusively on Indigenous stories, but certainly did some there. Um, what brought me out to Ottawa was working in communications for a royal commission called the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples back in uh, the, uh, the early 90s. Worked at the Assembly of First Nations, as you said, Oliver. Um, if... You know, if I wasn't hopeful, there's no way I could have d done that work. And I've always said, you know, I'm the most cynical optimist you'll ever meet, you know, cause I, but I'm ultimately an, an optimist that I think, I think things can get better. Um, what really gives me a lot of hope is our Indigenous youth, who there are certainly struggles out there, um, challenges um, facing so many of our youth, but they're really... Uh, for so long, they wanted to reach out to the elders, you know, to learn who they are in their languages. And for so long, the elders wanted to pass that on, but they're just, they weren't connecting in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons. And that's happening now. And it's that pride that we were talking about that I'm seeing. Um, and as well as the ability to walk in both worlds. Um, it's not just, you know, I, I, a friend of mine at the university who works at the University of Lethbridge says, you know, my auntie always told me, you know, you've got a laptop in one hand and a paddle in the other. Or they talk about walking in, in both worlds, you know. You can uh, be traditional, but be, a, you know, someone who does 3D computer modeling or yeah. all these kinds of things. So uh, that's what gives me hope. Specific to the, the graves, like I say, you know, you, you hesitate to look for, for good things. But, I mean, I think it is shattering a lot of those things you talked about you know, about Canadians, you know, thinking, oh, the rest, well, how bad were they, you know? And we're seeing how, just how bad they can be. But I do share the concern you mentioned that on the one hand, there's going to be more of these. There was just another one a couple of days ago in Penelicut, uh, British Columbia. Uh, the total now is uh, like over 1,300 when you look at the ones that are discovered. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission said, we have had we've been given very little access to any of the records, but based on the minimal access we've been allowed to have, like they put it at about 4,000. And they said, it's much bigger than that. That's just what we can put it at based on this minimal access. So there's going to be more of it. And my concern, as you were mentioning, was I'm, I do get worried that people have a tendency to get numb or they get overwhelmed and they just, you know what? I don't know what to do. That's just, I, I got to, I'm going to focus, I'm going to donate to Plan Canada or do something that I can get my head around, you know? So I think the key is, uh, yeah, trying to, you know, ensure that we don't get numb, that we find ways to talk about these things. And, you know, it's looking back right now with the, with, with the graves, which is important because that's how we figure out, we got to know where we've been to find out how we got to where we are so we'll know the right way to go forward. And that's what we also need to be thinking about is the way to go forward. And I think part of that too is, um, is the education we talked about. I think a lot of these things are compelling 
education, and I mean actual classroom education, and there's a lot of good work out there on curriculum that finds ways to introduce these topics that doesn't traumatize children. Because, you know, I do not expect a grade one, I don't, I don't want a grade one class, you know, to be hit on the head with all this stuff right yeah. away. They're kids, but there's a lot of good books, uh, you know, fiction books and curriculum that's been developed that you can start to introduce. And then, you know, when they're older, nine, 10, like grades nine, 10, 11, 12, you can get into the, the heavier stuff, you know? Um, but that's what I think is going to be part of the long-term work to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, we can actually, as a country, uh, find a way forward together that doesn't involve, you know, let's just, let's try to assimilate the indigenous people or take away all their rights. Um, and it, so it, so I'm hoping those sorts of efforts can, can come from this and that there is a, a national reckoning that is underway right now because of these, dis- it really took something as stark and horrible and tragic as that to finally, I think, kind of break through a bit to people. And I think of, oh, I'm hoping we can turn that reckoning into reconciliation and, and find ways forward. So it's, it's a harsh lesson. And it's a harsh way to learn it, but I think it was an important one for, for everyone to start to get their heads around. Yeah. Um, I want to say two things. First of all, um, just when my dad was asking his question, there was a point where I laughed and I don't know that I'll be able to edit it out. And I recognize that that seems really inappropriate given the nature <laughs> of the question, but it was because you thought he was done. And then he was like, oh, oh yeah, no, oh, I, I, no, wait, I, I, I inhaled, I like inhaled. a professor or something. I just thought that was funny. So I well, to... well, when you re-edit it, <laughs> throw the rim shot in after you laugh. It worked perfect. Well, it's what we were saying about not traumatizing children that I find interesting because I can sort of relate to that in this Canada Day this year was very strange for me because my four-year-old, there was no way to explain to him the gravity of the situation. And he wanted to wear red and he wanted to go do fireworks and he wanted to, you know, Mm. be proud to be Canadian and everything that previous years probably would have been celebrated by many people. Um, But I didn't know what exactly to do. I didn't want to take it away from him and I didn't know how to explain it to him. So we... We kept it low key, but we tried to mm-hmm. still let him, you know, have a, cause it's like a holiday for him. You know, he's yeah, four. It was yeah, just exactly. like Easter. Uh, it, or- it, it is for a lot of, you know, it's funny when I, when I moved to Ottawa, um, that was right around the time of Quebec's referendum to separate from Canada. Now in, when, in Winnipeg, Canada day was, we'll go to Birds Hill Park and watch the fire. It wasn't about flag waving yeah. and, you know, like, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the average Winnipeg. I'm not talking about indigenous people. It was just sort of, it was like, you say, it's a holiday and let's, Hey, let's go to the park or yeah. do some fireworks or have a party or something like that. Barbecue, whatever. Yeah. So when I moved here, yeah. And at, you know, I guess it was influenced a lot by the, by the uh, Quebec referendum possibly separating, man, my first can like, I, and I was in the market, like everyone's running around with Canadian flag capes and the cars painted are all painted. <laughs> I thought, yeah. okay, this is the nation's capital. This yeah. is different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely. And so Ottawa's kind of, that's Canada Day on steroids, definitely here in Ottawa. Yeah. But you know, um, um, you could uh, uh, put your put your son on an, on an orange shirt, right? That's that's what they're doing. We didn't have an orange shirt on us. That was like, we looked well, through all his drawers do, and it's a you, weird color to have a lot of clothes in it, orange, it is, you know? It is. I would say um, if, if and only if you want, go online and order one. Just make sure it's an indigenous group or person yeah. or whatever that designed it. And then you're supporting a good cause too. Or one that goes directly to charity or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I will look into that. Why not? I don't have any orange in my wardrobe. So. Not, it's like you say, it's not a... <laughs> exactly. It's not, <laughs> not a, a color, color a lot of people can, a lot. can <laughs> kill with, you know? Exactly. Um, while we're still on this um, and talking about indigenous stuff, I want to ask you with the uh, Canadian government appointing Mary Simon now as the new governor general, 
does that obviously there's there's positive things about that because she is indigenous and it's the first time that's ever happened but do you feel like they're just kind of placating an enraged public by with that move or do you think that are you hopeful that there was some honesty in that move well so it seems like a convenient time for them to be like oh look yeah look yeah. how progressive and, and pro-indigenous we are and and a lot of governments are really good at the symbolic stuff which is the low-hanging fruit right like under harper they put up a stained glass window in parliament that was an honor residential schools. Nothing wrong with that. No. But I mean, but okay. If that's all you're going to do, and, there's and, something wrong with that. Exactly. Yeah. How about we, you know, deal with, you know, uh, you know, some healing for survivors too. Uh, but, but there's a lot, there's, or they also did, um, I think they recently announced a day too of, uh, uh, I think a recognition day for, uh, I think it might even be Orange Shirt Day that they're going to like a uh, okay. you know, recognition of survivors, which again is all good and it helps awareness. Yes. But it is like, it's, it you know, the heavy lifting is how do we actually deal with restoring the land, building, you know, um, a better justice system that incorporates indigenous concepts of justice. Like that's the hard work, right? Um, how do we give life to the spirit and intent of the treaties that I mentioned before? So I'm not saying, you know, they're not doing anything on those fronts. I'm just saying um, a lot of governments, the symbolic stuff is a lot easier. Yeah. Um, with uh, Mary Simon, who's Inuit, and when we get to terminology, sing uh -huh. singular is Inuk, so a but group of indigenous Inuit, is still Inuk, appropriate? Yep, indigenous okay. is the umbrella. Inuit, Métis, First okay, Nations, okay. yeah, all fall under uh, indigenous. Um, so she's Inuit. Um, she's a great, uh, tremendously accomplished person, so she'll do a great job. Um, I myself personally, it, it has nothing to do with whoever's in, in there. I'm not big on the governor general. A lot of first nations are though, because our treaties are with the crown, right? Oh. That's who the treaties are with is with the, the crown, which, you know, Canada brought the constitution back. So of course we recognize we're dealing with Canada now, but th that's why they always, the, uh, the, the treaties talk about the honor of the crown and we talk about the honor of the crown upholding the treaty. So, um, there are a number of, uh, Pretty much, I think the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, which is the regional organization, and the head of the FSIN, the Federation of Sovereign Indian Nations in Saskatchewan, were all calling for a uh, Indigenous Governor General. They actually wanted a First Nations Governor General because of the importance of the treaties and the treaty relationship. Myself, personally, I guess maybe I'm a bit of an outlier, at least uh, with them. I don't see it as a tremendously um, uh, important... Well, no, I mean... It, it it's a lot of symbolism, I guess. But, you know, appointing an Indigenous person and someone as tremendously accomplished as Mary Simon, it that's, that's it's positive. It's going to have positives, It's positive yeah. symbolism to me. And, you know, we saw under the former Governor General Mikhail John, uh, Jean, uh, you know, a Governor General can, can provide a lot of moral leadership and moral suasion. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it, I, I don't sort of like just dismiss it as... It's as, good for morale. It, it's good. And I think it, yeah, and I, I think it's uh, for people who want uh, a Governor General, having an Indigenous Governor General is a good thing. Yeah. And I think she'll like do a tremendous job. So that, you know, there's nothing bad about that. No, it's true. Yeah. It just, it was a weird situation. The timing definitely seemed for suspect. Sure. Yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. I, for example, you know, and we we know how this turned out. Appointing an Indigenous Justice Minister, I thought, was a pretty bold move uh, when mm. Jody Wilson-Raybould was uh, was the Justice Minister. But of course, that all <laughs> went sideways. Is that the best way to put it? <laughs> that I don't know. I'm not um, huge in politics, which sounds like the most privileged thing you can ever say. I try, but I often get lost she, and I don't understand. She's what I'm, the one that got uh -huh. caught up in the NC uh, uh, NC Lavalin scandal. Oh, okay, and remember she got. Well, they said it wasn't a demotion, but she got removed from Justice to Veterans Affairs because she wouldn't 
uh, so she didn't get completely she, fired. But. She, uh, yeah, but then she ended up quitting, and it all. Oh came yes, to, I do it, remember it that. She resigned. Yeah, what happened? Yeah, yeah. She actually went as an independent MP. So I thought an Indigenous justice minister was actually um, uh, pretty, uh, like more than symbolic. I mean, that's a justice. Like that's you know these are people who can make and you know, create laws and yeah. change laws. So I thought that was a really uh, uh, good move. And it's really unfortunate that it just uh, uh, went sideways, but it's because she has integrity. Well, um, one thing I want to ask you is, do you think that the people from the residential schools that were working there and, and doing these horrendous things, um, do you think we're going to see like a, a Nuremberg style trials and accountability, you know? I don't know. People are calling for that. And there's even a move now to go to the, uh, uh, the UN and the, the international courts. And if Canada won't, uh, won't do anything. I mean, one of the problems is not a lot of those folks are around anymore. I suppose. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, you know, it, it's like, I think we always need to remember, uh, that the ultimate responsibility lies fully with the federal government. Yeah. The churches were the Christian soldiers, and they're absolutely culpable in the abuse that happened, but they never would have got their hands on the kids if the government hadn't set this up. So I'm not saying they shouldn't be punished, and where they're, you know, found, and after a fair trial and everything, uh, you know, if if there are convictions, then there should be. Absolutely, there should be. Yeah, because I was going to say, people even need if... to be brought to account. And you know, so, sorry. No, no, not at all. I was going to say was they also, I mean, and this connects to why they probably won't release the records. Is a lot of the churches, uh, the Catholic Church being one, because the the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, the United also ran uh, residential schools, but the Catholic Church ran the most. Um, they won't release their records. So that you should like, That's, what are you trying to hide yeah, and why, suspicious. and why would you try to hide it? So, and the government as well won't release all the records. So that one thing is something that should, and that could lead to some trials, but that should definitely happen. Like open those records because that's going to be a history lot of, and that's stuff that directly affected uh, all of us. Yeah. I mean, because even if the structure was there, both from the federal government and from these religious structures and a lot of pressure being, oh, you got to, you got to adhere to this way of thinking towards uh, indigenous people. In my mind, you're still the person doing the horrendous thing. There, there still takes a certain something uh, of, to actually cross that line. Like I, I yeah. read stories about them, like throwing babies into the incinerators and shit. And this was like babies from native young girls that the priest had knocked yeah, up and then yeah. they're like, Oh, get rid of this living evidence. Like it's so fucked up on so many levels. Yeah. So, I mean, people like that should rot. They should, they should rot I, in a jail I, cell. You know, I, I think, you know, where they can uh, identify them and yeah. uh, try them. Absolutely. I, I don't think, care how I, old I they think are. They should like, be, they should be brought to bear. Absolutely. No, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's sort of two levels of, uh, of, of hurt that happened. There was the abuse. That's what a lot of people focus on because we can get our heads around it, right? Like hitting a kid or sexually assaulting yeah. or, or whatever the case Malnourishment. Be. Malnourishment. Or what, yeah. But, you know, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples made a, made a good point, which was to say not that the abuse isn't important and not to put it aside, but even if none of that happened, these schools would have been profoundly damaging to yeah. First Nations and in Indigenous alone. people and culture, yeah. um, just being taken from your families, uh, the trauma on both sides, the, the you know the parents and family as well as uh, uh, the children, the basically being taught that your language is primitive; it's a savage language. 
that your ceremonies are evil and they're the devil's way and you're going to burn in this horrific place called hell, you know, if you practice them. And your parents are stupid and savage for trying to pass this stuff on to you. Um, I mean, arguably that's abuse in its own right. But again, even if this sort of other horrific stuff didn't happen, the schools alone would have been tremendously damaging. You add that horrible abuse on top of it. And yeah, I mean, you're looking at the, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with the impacts today, you know, this afternoon, this hour, you know, we're dealing with the impacts uh, of these schools. Yeah. If you're a child and you're being told like basically what you are is wrong, like you shouldn't exist the way you exist. Like everything about you is wrong. And, and you look at people, you know, the, uh, people who, you know, turn to substance abuse, you know, they were told you're a worthless person. Is it, is this true? Like, cause I've heard before that native Americans, they have like a really low tolerance for alcohol. That I don't know. I, there was, uh, you know, there used to be a, th- a theory or research, which I believe was disproven about this sort of gene we had that made us. Add- well, I thought it was just that the settlers brought alcohol over and because there wasn't that generational evolutionary adaptation to sort of have somewhat of a tolerance, like, you know, the Vikings and the Nordics would have had mm-hmm. or yep. who are, any other culture that drank alcohol. And, and but I, I don't know. I mean, be interesting. Sure, yeah. it would be interesting to see what the current research says. But having said all that, if you look at any group of people anywhere who've been mar- marginalized and oppressed and suffered trauma, whether it's sort of like poor people in, in the South, you know, in, in the U.S., uh, whether it's indigenous people in Canada or in New Zealand or, or really any, you know, culture, if, if you pick a, you know, if, if, you, if you look at a culture that's been suffered that, you'll, yeah. you'll find high rates of uh, alcoholism Alcohol or substance that, abuse, yeah, poor health, you yeah. name it, yeah. Hmm. So maybe there is something physical. I don't know, but um, yeah, I just you know I think some ways it's it's a way to say oh well yeah no that's yeah that's why they drink too much and yeah, they can't an handle it. Oh so, eh, well yeah I don't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's more going on there I think. Um, well, I know that you have somewhat of a time limit, so I do want to get to your comedy career. It seems like a really weird pivot <laughs> from all this you know obviously emotional and and I, it's been nonstop. Knee slap and laugh so far, hasn't <laughs> Well, it's, it's been entertaining nonetheless, but I do think, like, I love to talk about this stuff. I love learning about this stuff. I hope that this in- conversation encourages and educates people because I know I'm learning stuff every time I talk to you. Um, but you are also a very funny guy, so I want to get to some of that. <laughs> On a good night. Um, <laughs> you, from what I read, you came to Ottawa around the age of 30, and that was when you kind of decided, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was sort of like, um, well, I'd always loved uh, stand-up comedy. I remember as a kid, and (laughs) this is the funniest thing, Uh, the record, so I remember as a kid, we were um, being in my my aunt's house in Fort Francis, listening to, you might need to bleep the name, a Bill Cosby record. was way back. Statues of him are coming way, down. I way tell you that much. Back. I know. I know. I liked that. You know, I mean, these. what I remember was, I don't know how old I was, five, six. Um, anyways, so he's talking about, you know, he did a lot of uh, stuff about his family and his brother and being a kid and yeah. all that. And I, so I remember listening to this record uh, with, with the whole family. And I was, and you know, put in whatever comedian's name you want. <laughs> but uh, you know, I was laughing. And... My older brother was laughing and my parents were laughing and my grandmother was laughing and my aunt was laughing. We were just laughing and I just thought, I don't know like how I would have articulated it then in my head, but I remember sort of thinking like, this is really 
cool and powerful that yeah. this can connect with everybody, like you know? And I'm not a, uh, a black person who grew up in the United States, and he wasn't really talking about that. He was talking about being a kid, but you could connect with everything he was saying, you know? Yeah. And uh, whether you experienced it or not, like, it made you laugh. So I just always thought comedy is such a... Um, uh, you know, it, it just, it can just can connect with people. Uh, it's enchanting. From, no matter who you are. Yeah. I don't want to say powerful. Cause I mean, you don't get into it for power. Don't get into comedy. Some people do. I'm <laughs> but, sure. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know a few of those folks, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, but it just, I guess it just, it struck me just how this can, uh, you know, some people like country, some people don't like this or they don't like that artwork, but, and Comedy is this one art form where everyone should be laughing, no matter where they're from, no matter what their background, their education, what they do for a living. Um, and that's why it's so hard, I think, you know, and, um, you know, when, when, if you're a hip hop band that's booked into a country bar and they hate you, you can at least go, well, that wasn't our crowd, you know, we're doing our thing. Whereas in comedy, you're just supposed to be funny. So, I mean, there is like, you could be doing, um, you know, a comedy thing at like a Comic-Con and then, you know, okay, I can do a bunch of nerd jokes and it'll Mm -hmm. be right up their alley. Or if you did an all indigenous show, there would be a lot of material where you'd be like, okay, well, this is, you know. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I mean, I'll adapt. Like if I'm doing a show for all indigenous people or an indigenous event, I'll do more of the indigenous stuff usually. I I love you did a bit about these seats down here are reserved or something like that. I saw online, it was making me laugh. I'm probably butchering that, but I thought that was really funny. Yeah, no, and, and there's, it's even like the classic sort of inside joke stuff that, you know, ne- not like a non-Indigenous person might not even necessarily get. Yeah. Uh, or, or they might if they know, you know, if they've been around a lot of Indigenous people. So I'll do more of that. But at the same time, if you're, if you're like, I'm Oliver George, I'm a comedian, then your agent or someone calls you, you're doing the... Um, Whatever the uh, what the the snobby foundation, you know, evening banquet, and then tomorrow night you're doing the Joe's dive bar. Yeah, you're doing yeah. the chicken wire club in uh, the you know rural <laughs> rural nowhere kind of thing, and you with your act are expected to adapt. Yeah. Do really well, adapt, or find your own way to get across with uh, with those crowds. Um, yeah. So that's the other thing that I think makes uh, makes comedy so tough, but fun, you know. And that's sort of like you really have to find your way to, uh, or or you can be a niche comic, which some people do. But again, if you want to sort of do it as a living, you got to be able to play any room. Yeah, and, that's kind of. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever get there. I don't know. Uh, I just because I'm a bit of a niche comic, I usually sing songs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of. Uh, I've talked about this on the show before, but I don't know that I'll ever have that commitment level that I respect so much. Right, yeah. uh, And I recognize is very necessary. I've always been able to put on a good set and and make them laugh, but I know I don't really have the grind to go touring and and have soul-crushing moments because there are going to be those, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I respect the hell out of people who really just give it their all. Oh, I remember when I started, so just getting up on stage was terrifying enough. And then I'd see these really good comics who, you know, were making a living. I remember Tom Stade, who you probably, he's, he's, he's in England now and uh, he's doing very well, but he was uh, from Vancouver, very West Coast, um, really, like just uh, really funny. He was like your cool buddy you partied with in high school who was funny, who put the work into becoming a really good comic. Um, he was just so good. Anyways, I remember one time he was headlining and I was, and I was just worried about, um, you know, just getting up on the stage. He did so much road work in so many different rooms that, oh, there's a stage, a microphone and a light. Perfect. 
That's you know, he and he yeah. would just, he would just like, he wouldn't walk in and, oh, what do these people look like? And, oh, I don't think they're going to like that bit. Like he would just yeah. like, cause he just was so seasoned and knew like how to play uh, to so many different crowds that. The fear uh, is gone essentially. Yeah, he, or would a lot just, of it. he would walk in and I mean, you know, you think, I don't know, like I don't really get nervous so much anymore, but I want to feel something. I want yeah, to feel like, like I've actually had moments where, and I've talked to some of the guys who I, who around when I started like Wafik. Yeah. Um, We've had moments where you're actually there, you're about to go on, the MC is doing your intro and you're like, I, I don't feel like I'm going up to do comedy right now. And it doesn't mean you don't do well. You can do it. Just moments where like, I kind of, I want to feel, like you say, some anticipation. Yeah. I, I'm not a high energy comic, but I want to, I want to feel that, all right, I'm, I'm ready to get up there and, and do my thing now, you know? And there's yeah. been times where I'm like... Yeah, I don't feel like I'm doing. Well, you and Wafik have both been doing it like 25 plus years. Well, so. 20, yeah, yeah. 20. 20 oh, I thought I, you were. Well, it might, might have been 20 in a bit, but Waf was at it before I was. No, but you, I saw a set that was from '96 or something, which is 25 years ago. '96. That's 25 years ago, my friend. '96. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think I don't wasn't know. that Bullard uh, appearance somewhere around there? Maybe I'm could wrong. Could have been. Could have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, but you've been doing then, it a long time. Yeah, yeah. So you're bound to have those moments like you were describing where, you know, for me, every time I get the preemptive, not not always nervousness, but like definitely whatever you want to feel, I'm feeling lots of that yeah. <laughs> because I take these these big gaps between performing a lot. Something I'm trying to work on. But yeah. I used to be a, um, not a pacer, but a walker. I, when I was starting like doing openers and that, or well, when I was starting like new talent night or amateur night, like especially then I would, I wouldn't pace like nervously. I, but I would need to go out and walk around the block and run through my stuff. Oh, okay. And I don't know if it's, I I think I, I genuinely have a touch of OCD, like not in any way you would even notice, but if someone interrupted me, like came up, if you came up and said, Oh, Hey Don, did you, like I would. I'd have to start over again. I'd have to go through my whole, uh, I'd have to go through my whole thing again. Yeah. So I was always like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, I thought you were talking about on stage because there are people who do that. They walk around back and forth. No, I've always been a, uh, and you know, this was partly conscious, uh, when I started, um, I wanted to be a bit of a stand and deliver comic. Like if you mm. watch me now, I, I do a more, I, I find I do this a lot. Don't I, <laughs> I, just, I guess, cause I, I, I keep the mic in the stand most of the time. Um, cause I really wanted to be able to get through, uh, with my material and, and, and style for lack of a better word. I didn't, I, I, I didn't have an acting background, so I could never be that Robin Williams type of, whoa, and look yeah. at this. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I love that. Um, but the, the, I knew early on um, that I, I I would have to work really hard to do that. And I thought, well, if I'm going to have to work really hard anyways, do I want to, like, you know, be, try to be something I'm not? The other thing I can't do is, like, I can't do the anger, really, right? I mean, I've, I've had comics... Uh, it, they mean in a good way, but go like, like you're Nate. Like, aren't you angry? Like, well, you should have more angry and attitude up there. Now I said, no. If, if I can sort of like come over without being trying to be big and bold, yeah, without yelling at them or shouting or trying to do. Oh, you have a very warm energy. I wanted to you. try that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that's what. I, that's the kind of comedy like I wanted to. I'm not saying it's the only kind of comedy. Like, I love the ang- angry comedy. I yeah. love the sort of outrageous, all over the place comedy. But I just thought that's what I want to be able to do. I also early on. Um, didn't swear just because I just did not want to get into a, uh, a habit of, you know, you drop an F-bomb into a punchline and it's just human nature of the crowd. You're going to get a bit more of a spike than you would without the F-bomb. And I, I and there's even like some punchlines that are lines that totally rely on 
you know, yeah. uh, an F bomb. I've, I've I've got a couple like that that you know are way better if I if I if I curse. But early on, I just didn't want it to become a crutch or vulgar humor. If you're talking about jerking off all the time or that kind of yeah, stuff. And, yeah, and you know, and for me, I had no interest in that. And again, it's not. It's for me. I, I'm not judging. Like yeah. you know, Mike Wilmot, um, who if he wants to can you know be dirtier than anyone is hilarious and he's a brilliant writer and a brilliant performer. Um, and what I love too, is when he gets dirty, it's really more about him. It's not like, yeah, this chick was such, you know, it's not sort of that thing. Uh, it's, it's about him and his own ineptitude and things like that. But I mean, that's a good example of someone who could like people who go into a comedy club thinking, Ooh, I hope it doesn't get too dirty. Wilmot will have them rolling in the aisles, you know, cause it's all how you, come across through it and how you bring people into, them into, into your yeah. world. Yeah. And, and he's just uh, like so good. Um, but for me, it's just, it's just nothing that I, you know, was drawn to. I didn't want to like talk a lot about body, bodily functions and stuff like that. It just wasn't, you know, That's fair. Kind of where I'm yeah. at. Yeah. Exactly. Not everybody's jam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, Mike, Mike stands, I find I have an interesting relationship with because, uh, well, mainly because if I'm bringing my guitar, I've been to shows where they're like, oh, we don't have a mic stand. And I'm like, I kind of need a mic stand. <laughs> yeah. I had to run across the street and start asking random bars if they had a mic stand once, like 10 minutes before. Really? Show. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. We found yeah. one. Thank God. But, wow. um, and the other thing is the very, one of the first times I ever did stand up was in a competition. Um, and I came first with the judges and the audience that night. And I got the, the owner of the club, which I won't say who, but it was not Howard who is a great guy. It's one of two. Um, well, you can do your own by <laughs> well, default, not. whatever, but yeah, there Howard's a great guy. Time, different clubs opened and closed. Um, and it was like the immediate, like right after we're doing really well. And I'm sure I was super like novice. I didn't know anything, but it was like, oh, we're going to have this come here. Like sit down. I'm going to talk to you about this. And the first thing pretty much no, like good job or like any friendly cordial, anything. It was, uh, Tomorrow night, if I see that mic stand, you don't move that mic stand right at the beginning of your set, I'm going to lose my fucking mind or something like that. And I was, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I know who you're talking about and who you're talking about, um, as a very corporate approach to comedy, mm-hmm. um, because I would get things like that, you know, cause, um, uh, certain people are at it longer, you know, we're already doing it. I like I that we're there. keeping it vague because this has <laughs> yeah. come up in previous podcasts and been edited out, but if we do it right, we can leave this one. Yeah. In. But I mean, if you know Ottawa, it's not, uh, <laughs> you don't exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't have Sherlock ill will Holmes towards to... this person either. Exactly, like, you know, exactly. do your thing. You're clearly doing something right. I've been to great but, shows there. But I've heard like <laughs> similar things like don't open with new material. Like I don't want you. To... And I kind of get it, but at the same time. I don't time... mind the advice. It's the delivery method of. Well, well, I have to be gruff and, and intimidating. I don't understand well, that. No, and that, um, that. Again, to me, it's, you know, this is a creative medium. It's one of the last places for free speech, which, of course, you know, you will have incidents. And podcasts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so why do you want to tell someone how they can do that? Let let them learn. And I understand if it's a pro show or a corporate where there's there's a lot of money, uh, you know, or the, the client paid a lot of money. You don't want to do a bad show and open with 20 minutes of the stuff you just thought of. But if, that, someone's, just, if someone's just figuring out, like it's one of their first ventures. Exactly. You exactly. want to like ruin the experience and make them so they don't want to ever come yeah. and even approach it because they're worried about running into... And, and I mean, you know, you people know, like that. the best advice I got early on in some ways, early on was some of the technical advice, not so much 
oh, don't do that joke this way. Do it. Don't do wear it that shorts. Way. I've yeah, heard. <laughs> I've gotten that one. I mean, some of it was like you know, you're 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 too close to the mic, and so like you may not. It's distorting, or just hold it here. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, th- that's stuff that uh, I think is helpful because you won't necessarily always learn that on your own because you're not hearing yourself through the you know the house sound Definitely, system. Yeah. So there are some good technical things, but things like you know, what material you should and shouldn't do and how you should, uh, you know, deliver your stuff. Like, like, let me figure that yeah. out. That's why I don't, I don't believe in comedy courses. I think they're helpful for people who are really hesitant and actually like, will it'll help give them confidence that yeah. they're just like, not oh, flailing around. Yeah. But the stage will teach you everything you know, you yeah. know, and, and even... And then you find good either club owners or comedians who give good advice because... They don't all do, and that's not an insult. Um, I know amazing comedians who, like, never had all their advice boiled down to, well, do it the way I do. And they, they weren't even aware of that. They were just saying, oh, no, you should, like, be angry. Or, uh, yeah. and, and sort of, like, uh, the good advice you get, and I think Howard at Yuck Yucks is really good for this, is he'll look at what you're doing and give you, if he gives you advice, advice around that as opposed to you're where, you know, don't wear a suit and and yell more or be dirtier or whatever. Like he'll, uh, Howard, I think, looks at the comedian and what they're trying to do, and he gives advice based on that as opposed to trying to change them to what a whatever, some corporate cookie cutter or whatever the case may be. So I think... He's you, very approachable you, too, I find. Yeah, you find people, who, and there's some comics too who give really good advice based on what you're doing. And so the advice I will get will be different from what you'll get or what some other yeah. comic will get, you know, because they, they're, they're trying to just help you figure out um, what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, you got to watch. I mean, a lot of people have been at it a while, have a lot of good advice, but it doesn't mean you should listen to everything that that, that you're told because, you know, there's I've seen people get really bad advice too. There's a lot of unsolicited advice in general. In, and in yeah, and that, scene. you know, I just find that... Um, like if someone wants to ask me anything, like I'm happy to talk to them about it. Yeah. But I will rarely volunteer advice. I mean, if I could, if I think, oh, I, I got a tag. Comes off as pompous. I got a tag that, they, yeah, and it's kind of like even if you're right, it comes off as kind of douchey. I'm, and I'm like, who am I to tell anyone what they should be doing? You know, that's like, how a normal sane person thinks. Exactly. But in exactly. comedy, we run into a lot of people who don't check that box necessarily. Well, and and this is going to sound really pretentious probably, but I've seen people who've been doing it very little who are full of advice for everybody. Oh, yeah. And like, really? <laughs> like, you, you know, you're you're sharing the the benefit of, you've done three more shows than that person and you're, you know, you, yeah, you're, you're exactly. the wisened elder who's going to, you know, tell them about stuff now. So uh, I, I get it gets exciting when you start. It's fun to be part of a, a scene and a crowd and everything, but, you know, people need just to slow down a little bit. And, yeah, uh, well, if someone's asking you, like you said, it's a totally different story. Yeah. I've ta- I remember, uh, one of my favorite people to talk to when I had jokes I was kind of wondering about is I would ask uh, Tavis and he was always just a really friendly ear who would give me some great feedback and uh, you know just easy to talk to yeah never yeah. felt judged like my materials being judged but more just that he was just one of these guys who loves comedy and uh, Tavis Maplesden I should say yeah. he's been on this show as as has Wafik, who we were speaking yeah. of earlier. So yeah, and no, Howard's coming on soon too. So oh, that's all, well. There you go. The whole yucks gang. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. And 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 uh, you know, Tavis is a guy who'll look at the joke, and and this is what I always tell people about writing too. It is it is good to get together to write, but you'll find, um, yeah, you should be a little selective, and like you know, you don't want too many. Like I find three is a good writing number because if you know, you and I might get jammed on something and not have anything than a third, you know, having a third voice helps. But I mean, just like people who give you advice, I've written with people 
Uh, like there was a woman who used to do comedy who doesn't anymore in Ottawa, who was very theatrical and like, you know, that was her, and she did well and that was her style. Yeah. But when we were on the road, a few of us, we try to write, you know, I would have an idea and she would go, oh yeah. And then she'd like, put your head like this and go, la, 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 la. Oh, I'm sort of all like, her way. I'm like, yeah. you're not writing for me. <laughs> and so, and, and some people can't. And in fact, good writers uh, that's what they're writing for voice. So the joke I would write for you would not be the same. I would write for like Tavis or Wafik or something yeah. like that. Um, because it comes down to voice too. Like, you know. Which is like screenwriting. You're writing for characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you know, and, and what you just said, you might kill doing that. But A, I can't do that. B, I don't want to do it. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's the it, bigger it's, part. It's yeah. not what I was trying to do with this thing here, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I have a, a funny question. I thought maybe this will be a good story. I'm hoping. When I say craziest comedy show in Ottawa, what comes to mind? The cr- in, in your like personal experience, the cra- well, it's you've already had a Wafik on, so you can't. Well, if you have him on again, ask him about this or uh, <laughs> Howard. You might. I don't know how much. Anyways, the f- craziest comedy shows in Ottawa. I can't tell you about because okay. back in the day, Yucks used to be on Albert Street. Yes, I remember. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, the Capitol Hill Suites, the basement of the Capitol Hill Suites. So this is more, not when I was first starting, but I'd been into it and we were, you know, doing good, uh, you know, working a lot. Wafik, you know, was definitely part of the scene. Rick Curry uh, was around, but he was already you know, he was a headliner and uh, probably writing for Bullard at the time. He writes for this hour, right? Uh, he wrote, yeah, uh, he wrote for, for the Mercer Report. Oh, Mercer. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, it, and yeah. he still does work with all all those folks. Yeah, he's he's easily the best comedian. In I know he was doing some shows right in Nepean uh, right before the pandemic. He yeah, did one yeah. at that brewery over there. No, he's the best. You know, he's not as well known because he doesn't hit the side rooms or things like that. And a lot yeah. of the younger folks might not even know him, but he's easily the best comedian in Ottawa. You oh, know, wow. and probably like one of the best uh, to, to come out of Ottawa. Yeah. And just an amazing writer. Like you just look at his resume, you know, like he's just an amazing writer. And he's a guy, this was, wasn't the point of my story, but, you know, we talk about different rooms. He could play like the rowdiest biker bar or the nicest corporate uh, award ceremony with the same act and and, wow. and and kill. Yeah, yeah. He did not, it wasn't, wasn't sort of like I need different acts for different crowds. Um, like it, it just, his stuff. That's it, impressive. It, it was just so uh, appealing and people could, could relate to it. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Rick wasn't really there a lot. But anyways, we were at that point, it's, it's just some of the most fun we've ever had where the club was kind of like our hangout, you know? And uh, I was younger. Uh, the wait staff, uh, the bar staff were all younger. Uh, and so we would have these, we'd call them the late, late show. We did a few roasts there before the Oh Craps, the Ottawa Comedy Roast and Awards presentation yes. was a thing. Like uh, when I was uh, got engaged, they did a roast for me. Uh, when people would, Tracy McDonald, who uh, uh, won Star Search twice, uh, when she went down to the US, we did a going away roast and party. But oh, but, cool. well, but it wasn't always a roast. We, just, we would just sometimes, we'd call them the late, late show. And we would, uh, you know, wouldn't start till about 1 a.m. Whenever, you know, we'd all converge back from our out of town gigs or whatever. Or, if, you know, if you were at the club, you, you go to the club for a, a last pint or something. And then some nights, um, you know, it wasn't just our decision, you know, it wasn't our club, but, uh, we would just, audience was gone. We would lock the doors. The sound system was on, uh, the taps stayed on and (laughs) we just partied and we would, it wasn't even always a show, but we would do shows. And the whole idea was do the stuff 
either you're working on or the stuff you could never do. Because, that sounds amazing. Because nowadays you'd get they they'd call it getting canceled. You know, the, yeah. the whole idea was, and of course. Everyone was probably in a pretty good mood at that point. So, so like Darren Frost level material. Uh, that, that, or you know, even uh, yeah. I mean, but but ed- edgy in any kinds of ways. Um, and we would just and and then of course it was a whole party would be going on, and it would, like I say, it wasn't always a show. And I just I remember one night I can't remember what the what the there was a reason for the party, but I remember one night looking around at one of our late 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 shows, and the club was like. You know when you see those tornadoes, but they've got like five funnels coming down? <laughs> That's what the club is like. Okay, there's something crazy going on over there, something hilarious going on. And I'm not like, no one ever fought. That was the thing. It was just such a, a, a good vibe, but there was just, it was just pandemonium. Like it was just, yeah, craziness everywhere. And those were just some of the funnest nights and some of the, the I'm assuming craziest assuming none, none of these were filmed. None, no, no, oh, no. This is, this is, yeah, these, Phones did not have cameras on them in those days. Yeah. Thank goodness. But uh, <laughs> there was the occasional picture taken. Probably Howard's probably still got some of them, but nothing incriminating. But uh, those were just some of the most fun. They're just some of the most fun I've ever had. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah I wish I could uh, be a fly on that wall for a minute. <laughs> um, I want to talk about a couple shows because you were a host of two different shows um, that I know of. Fish Out of Water and oh. Crazy Like a Lynx. Yes, on APTN. Which... A couple of things I want to talk about here. First of all, APTN for uh, Aboriginal Indigenous, BET for Black people, and then white people have ABC, NBC, CBC, no, <laughs> everything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically exactly. everything else. Um, and, and I always say APTN. Um, if if you're looking to find it in any given city, um, it's very easy. To, it's this this will work in any major city. If you're looking for APTN, get your remote control. Go up, 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 up the dial till you see people in your lobby. Then go one channel back, and that's usually APT. Really? It re- well, it really is the Indian Reserve of Canadian cable channels. It's usually way up in the middle of nowhere, okay. and white people never go there. I thought you could get it on <laughs> Apple TV. I had written. Down. I think you can can get it on Apple. I'm sure. So, Actually, we just got Apple. I haven't even watched it yet. Both of these shows, you had a co-host. One was Don Dumont, and the other one was Dakota Ray Herbert. Uh, for Fish Out of Water, I was the host for the three three seasons. We oh. did a fourth season, and Don Dumont was my co-host for the fourth season. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And Crazy Like a Lynx started with a co-host, which which is uh, Dakota Hebert. Yeah. Dakota okay, Hebert. so correct me if I'm wrong here, but I thought this was interesting that these programs kind of countered each other in a way because Fish Out of Water showed a modern indigenous person going sort of back to his roots and exploring the traditional ways of living and challenging yourself with stuff like that. Whereas the crazy like a lynx was kind of the opposite of that, right? Where you were showing um, indigenous people doing well and flourishing in modern day society. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, more or less, I mean, the way we look, you know, of course we didn't have crazy like a lynx wasn't even an idea when we did fish out of water, but the idea of fish out of water was the city Indian goes out and, uh, yeah, tries to learn the traditional skills. Cause yeah. you know, the whole, and the whole idea going in was like, I'm not survivor, man. I'll I saw be the you first shooting to the bow and arrow. I'll yeah. be the first to, I'm not, <laughs> that's why the producer, like, I mean, when she first talked to me, uh, her name's Kateri Legault of Interindigital Productions. We've got mutual friends. 
um, we were at a wedding and this is where she first approached me because I want to do this series. And I just thought it was wedding talk and whatever sort of thing. Didn't think anything would come of it. And she talked about the idea and I said, well, you know, Kat, I said like, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't, I genuinely don't like camping. I, I'm an outlier with my own people. I'm not like, I got to get back to the land. Like I yeah. love, I love the city, you know, and my spirit animal is giant tiger, as I often say. <laughs> there. You like glamping. Where was that rim shot when I need it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, um, and she said, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for. You know, nice. it's, it's like I say, I'm not survivor, man. I'm, I'm his remains were found in spring, man. You know, that guy. And that's what she wanted. She said, I want someone that either the audience can kind of, you know, laugh at and watch you struggle. But then people who don't know it either can go, oh yeah, that looks tough, but let's have fun uh, doing it. So then crazy, like, so it really was get the city Indian, you know, out learning the traditional skills and struggle and have fun. Crazy Like a Lynx is a bit more, what are our people doing now? Like you say. Um, but at the same time, uh, so it is like we worked with the First Nations snowboarding team out in BC. Okay. Uh, we worked in uh, um, the Pow Wow Cafe in Toronto, which is this amazing, uh, you know, taco, Indian tacos, which are very popular at Powell's, but, but he does all these different kinds of tacos and other food. And it's just a, an amazing place in uh, uh, Kensington Market in, uh, in Toronto. So it's, yeah, what are our people doing now? But the same thing, we get into how does your, like what you know of your traditional ways, how does that inform what you're doing? Oh, so even okay. the snowboard team, you know, they learn about uh, the mountain and respect for the mountain. It's not just snowboard lessons. Very cool. They get all this stuff. Yeah. And so Is the, that one still airing? The it's still, you know, we should have been done the second season by now, but pandemic. Of this course. thing happened. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we did one season. Uh, we've been on hold and I think we got some shoots in late next month started. Oh, yeah. nice. So we'll probably awesome. have to mask up for like certain parts or whatever. It's going to be weird. Because Fish yeah. Out of Water was quite a long time earlier, right? Uh, was, yeah, a few years ago. Yeah. There, yeah, there was okay. a, there was a, uh, probably a couple of years between Fish Out of Water and Crazy Like a Lynx. Yeah. It's same producer though, Cattery Legault, Interim Digital. Nice. Uh, same director, uh, Neil Gron, who used to be in a sketch troupe called Three Dead Trolls in a Baggie. They had a show on CBC for a while. Uh, so he's, yeah. So same director director, um, same producer and yeah, yeah. And so. I know you can access this, I believe on the APTN website. Yep. Uh, I haven't tried lately, but, uh, you used to be able to watch episodes on the APTN website. Oh, I thought it was something you had to, to either donate or subscribe. But I don't think so. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, good question. Fish out of water. I'm not sure. I'd have to, I'd have to double check it. I, I you don't even know how to I don't, rep your I'm own the worst, stuff. I don't even have no. my own website. I'm not a, uh, I'm the worst self promoter. People always say, well, how can I, you know, where, what's your website? Or I, I don't have one. <laughs> I get that. I love doing this part of all this, but I'm not a big fan of the social media and all the, the yeah. legwork. And I would just en- I would just end up saying no to more things than than I want to. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to think that anyways. <laughs> I have enough people, come. but I mean, as it is, I'm 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 happy doing what I'm doing. It's not sort of like I'm looking for tons of stuff to more to to be coming in. You know. Yeah. Um. I want to know um a couple of things. One is I. Actually, I'll go to this one first uh, because, again, indigenous topic. I know your father was indigenous, but your mom was Swedish, right? Yep. So I wanted she, to she's know. She's not just white. She's downright pale. There you go. <laughs> so I wanted to know, did you ever experience, I don't know what to call it, I guess counter racism from fully native people who would then try to say, oh, well, you're not fully native so, and ostracize you in that way? No, not really. But but what I did, uh, I never actually experienced that. Um I did get, 
I would experience racism indirectly because not everyone, see, if you saw my, my, my brother, and I'm, I'm going to actually talk skin color, is a little darker than me. I guess he got sure. more dad's genes, you know? Yeah, that happens with- I, I'm a little lighter, yep. Um, so people who know Indigenous people will often say, you're, you know, are you First Nations or whatever? Because just the round face, me, I got a high forehead and that. Yeah. But people who don't, don't immediately, it'll assume. And then you hear Don Kelly, like that doesn't exactly scream yeah. traditional Ojibwe, right? But um, so what I would get sometimes is indirect racism of being in a group of people just talking and then someone will, uh, I remember one time at a party and this, this uh, girl was talking about a, a lousy car that she had just bought. She goes, oh yeah, it's a real Indian chariot and, uh, or worse, right? And so people are mistaking you for I, white and then... I was like a, the stealth Indian, exactly. Yeah. The stealth for station. <laughs> I was like, and, and you know, and there's a couple <laughs> times, I just realized I got to call it when I hear it, right? I'm not going to like confront of course, yeah. and be angry and challenge people to fights. But a couple of times it happened, I kind of let it slide and I thought, oh, well, that's not good though. People need to know that, uh, yeah. you know, people hear these things and that they're saying these things. So, so I would get some, I, or, you know, I, I would also get the classic, but not you, Don. You know, oh, you're uh, sorry, I'm just unemployed, but not, not you, Don. You know, yeah. I'm just drinking when they get their money, but not you, Don. And I would get a lot of that too, you know? So, uh, yeah, like, again, you got to push back against that kind of stuff. Yeah. I would say the same thing that if I didn't know you were indigenous, I might be, you know, curious, but then when someone tells you, I go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I see it. Yeah. It's kind of like that. I had a friend who was half Vietnamese and he, like, you could tell he wasn't straight Caucasian, but you wouldn't have really guessed Vietnamese unless he told you because you'd be like, oh, he looks kind of like he could be almost Greek or so, um, you know, it's, that's why I was curious about this question in general, just because, yeah. you know, it's a, a different, uh, we all have different ways of, of growing up and some people are purebreds, so to speak, or whatever yeah. you want to call it, yeah. as horrible I, as that sounds. I, I have seen on Twitter discussions um, that I don't engage in about, you know, white passing First Nations people, and they tend to do better than, you know, those of us who oh, really look. interesting. And I don't know that that's the case. You know, my cousin, Wab Canoe, is head of the provincial NDP in, in Manitoba. So, you know, he's doing fine, and he's Clearly, you know, he's proud of his of who he is and uh, doesn't try to hide His name it. is Canoe. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I've seen people who like these discussions about white passing or darker, and I just think, hmm. you know, we've been divided so much by governments and other entities o over the generations. Why do we want to divide ourselves? Oh, racism and skin color and, and sexism, all the shit that people fight about, it just boggles my mind. Yeah. You know? I yeah. mean, I understand conceptually how these things come to be the way they are and yeah. systemic racism. And, and Remember, uh, now, I used to be an original Star Trek nerd when I was okay. a kid. Like, I was like... Like Win Kirk and, and Win McCoy. Yeah, and, okay. Kirk, Spock, McCoy. That's always I, been my favorite. Like, I was... Always been my favorite, too, although I've watched, uh, like, Next Generation, the other ones. But, I mean, I was I was a, a geek for a while. Like, I was, like, winning trivia contests this and stuff too. like that. Yeah, so so this... So maybe, <laughs> maybe your dad can help us on this. Because the reason I'm reminded of that is there was that great Star Trek episode about the, what was the race? They were half black and half white. Oh, I, even I know those guys. There wasn't the Baden, was it the Badens or something like that? Or Frank Gorshin played uh, the main guy. The Riddler. He, yeah, exactly. He, he played in Star Trek. He, and he was chasing this other guy who'd escaped and it came out in the episode, well, why are you chasing him? Like, well, you know, they're inferior. And he goes, well, what do you mean? Well, isn't it, isn't it obvious? He's black on this side of his, his body. Oh, I do remember yeah, that. We're, yeah, and we're, you know, we're, 
we're black. And that really how ludicrous it shows all is. how ludicrous yeah. like racism based, like, you know, well, racism is, but I mean, skin color and all that too is. Yeah. I just thought it was a really good, uh, uh, you know, it really made the point pretty, pretty clear. Yeah. That that's a famous episode. I mean that that's one of the greats. That one there. Yeah, yep. And you know, back in the day, I could have told you the name, all the characters, what those aliens were. I remember a lot of them. I remember <laughs> the one with that uh, that kid who had like the mental powers, Charlie. Charlie. X. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of them I remember from. Honestly, the thing I love about the original series is that they didn't have like any special effects really. And the sets they would build to look like a foreign like landscape of another planet and stuff. Just, I don't know. I thought it was so cool. Uh, uh, well, I, I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, you you recognize sort of the the lower budget aspects of it, you know. But they but, tried really hard but it was to really do the good. best and, with what they had, you know. And the stories were so good that it wasn't about how shiny is that thing, yeah. you know. But Or how what, bad is that what, alien what, costume? What I love as a uh, indigenous person is I love how they, uh, the Federation had the prime directive you will not interfere with any society or culture. Yes. You be, and Kirk would go in and just screw it up completely. He would overturn everything. He would usually sleep with someone from yeah, that yeah, population. Yeah, and then, then he'd have sex with some alien. And then, yeah, and, and I just loved, I mean, I remember one episode, he just overturned their whole belief system and then they take off. <laughs> so I just, like, yep. as an indigenous person, yeah, yeah, been there. Yeah, prime If you um, have not seen this, you got to Google it afterwards. But there is an episode, I think fairly early on, where they tried to pass off this this non-intelligent alien, but it's literally like a small dog with antenna like taped to its head <laughs> and Spock or somebody's holding it like right in the, the frame. No one questions. It's clearly a dog. <laughs> I don't know. This, I mean, I guess a planet could have dogs with just a slight variation, hypothetically. But uh, yeah, you know, it was just some guy on the cruise pup who was there for the you day. Do, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, maybe you can tell me if this is true. I thought this was very cool when I researched this, but did you open for Mitch Hedberg? I did. I did. What that was is, that like? If someone was to ask me, like, you know, what are your, like, um, uh, you know, favorite moments in comedy or, like, what has comedy enabled you to do that, you know, you most cherish, it would be opening for Mitch Hedberg. He was uh, um, on his way to do his first Just for Laughs gala. Oh, nice. He had done Letterman. So it wasn't like he was like, I had discovered him, you know, from the unknown. I'd actually seen him on Letterman once, but he was not uh, nearly as big as, as, Somewhere he, around as he went on to be. Yeah, right around there. Yeah, that yeah. was his first Just for Laughs gala, which he destroyed and it just put him like, not just the next level, but uh, three or four levels ahead. Yeah. So he was coming through Canada doing uh, a lot of clubs and basically a lot of tune-up gigs and warm-up gigs and all that. So I'd seen him on Letterman, thought he was amazing. Literally a new voice. You know, yeah. like, there's a lot of funny comics, but this was like his voice was unique and his perspective and the material, it was just, I, I just blew me away. Well, you don't see straight one-liner comics that often. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like, you know, that kind of, um, and the other psychedelic one-liners. When you watch Mitch Hedberg, what's interesting is he is a one-liner, but he's often got six or seven lines, yes, you know, like, yeah. like he will then move on and there's still, he keeps that momentum going because yeah. of his style and they're funny. Yes, like definitely. the guy could write, you know, just incredible. Um, and it really is an exa a great example of we probably wouldn't do as well with his material as he did. No. You know, I mean, maybe you try to imitate him or whatever, but it just really was his, uh, a unique voice in every sense of the word. So when he was coming through Yucks, Howard's plan was uh, he brought in Alan Park, a uh, comedian who was on uh, Air Force for a while as well, but uh, he was a, a, a touring pro to, to MC. And he was just going to, I think, hire like the cheapest people he could. 
And I just lobbied. I said, Howard, you got to put me on that That's show. That's so cool. Like, I didn't even I, know he had I, come to Ottawa. I was like, I'll do it for free all weekend. Just put me on that show. So Howard put me on and Tracy McDonald was on the show as well. Cool. And uh, it, I, it, it, the weekend was amazing. Howard, if you hear Mitch Hedberg's very first album, uh, CD, whatever, Strategic Grill Locations. Okay. Um, <laughs> he has a bass player playing behind him because he's 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 got that weird style that yeah. it actually like it just sort of like sort of a jazzy kind of you know low rhythmic bass behind him. Howard hired a local bassist to play behind him. Oh, uh, cool! Which was great. In fact, at one show, Mitch Hedberg goes um, in the middle. By the way, uh, y'all know this is Mitch Hedberg, right? <laughs> he was <laughs> the bassist, but it was great. I mean, he was he was shy. He was with his girlfriend at the time, Lynn Shawcroft, who was a uh, a Toronto uh, comedian. They'd met down in uh, I think Los Angeles, but regardless, um, and he was he was shy, um, not like sort of like needs to be the center of attention or life of the party. We hung out after the shows, which was great. He gave me, which I still have, um, should have brought it. Anyways. Yeah, if you want to put it up on the wall. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he gave me his CD, Strategic Grill Locations, but you can buy it in stores, but this was the version, the version he made himself. So you know those really thin CD covers? Yeah. And the cover... Um, was a drawing. I mean, it wasn't an original, but uh, that that Lynn had done of him, sort of like a not a kind of almost an abstract caricature kind of picture of Mitch Hedberg, cool. and he and he signed it. And this was the one he was selling out of the trunk of his car at the time. So and cool. You can buy it now. And so, yeah, take yes, a picture of that, and I'll put it up in the episode. If yeah, you email I'll, it to me. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll. I've got. Of course, I would. You know, I. I'd never Treasure throw that. it on yeah. e eBay, but I wonder, you know, what it would, what it might go through, go for in some of these things. Um, so he signed, and he wrote a nice little note to me, and uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. It was just great getting to watch him all the time, and the the way he worked. You know, the the material didn't always change, but it would change up, and it's it always struck me so hard to remember all that material. That's what I've always said about one liners, like. Yeah. Um, Stephen Wright, is that his name? How am I forgetting? Yeah, his yes. Wright, okay, yeah. yeah. I thought I got it wrong there for a second, but he's another guy who you watch him just one after the other. Yeah. And how yeah. are you doing this? There's yeah. no it's storytelling to kind of ease you along, you know? Yeah, the only thing I can think, and uh, um, Mitch Hedberg said this too, was sort of clustering, you know? Even mm. if they're not the same topic, there's ways to sort of get a thread sometimes. Like a code word in your brain that kind of... A code of, word in your brain, or yeah. you know what? This all hangs together under the sense of, or a sensibility. A or larger something, topic. Something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he didn't really say much about it, but I mean, it really was, how do you remember all that? <laughs> and... uh Yeah, and, and I remember one night he went up and uh, one of his first lines was uh, in... In high school, I was voted class clown because I wore so much makeup. <laughs> and it was the first time he'd, he'd thought of it between shows. And it was so funny because it was really more a comics line. Like it was like the audience laughed. He goes, goes I don't know. That's a new one, man. That, that that one came way too easy. I wonder if that's someone else's. Pretty sure I'll, pretty sure I'll find out when I go back to L.A. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. the comics will always, it's, they stole your line the other night. So, yeah, yeah. But it was his line. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it was just. Uh, that's so cool. You know, when, when you talk about sort of, uh, you know. What sort of like like dreams you might have Bucket that you might be able whatever. to do? Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's well up there. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. talking to someone who got high with Tommy Chong, so I know exactly what you're talking about, man. <laughs> that's right. Tom uh, Stade, who I mentioned earlier, did as well. Oh, nice. I'm sure he's gotten high with plenty of people. So, but I don't care. It's and still... I love Tom because Tom said, "You know, that's one for the grandkids." Yeah, <laughs> like this is before weed was legal, <laughs> of course. So, yeah. Definitely. Well, and unfortunately, a couple of years after that, Mitch would have been gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another tragic victim of opioid abuse and yeah, uh, addiction. Yeah, yeah. And really, I mean, you know, uh, 
you know, for, for people who just know him through his career, very surprising. Like, obviously, he, you know, he came off as someone who probably wasn't a stranger to substances, but the way yeah. he died was sort of like, okay, I didn't really expect But when you that, worked with him, you know? he didn't come off as like a tweaker or something. No, you know? no, it was um, like just, you know, weed. That, that was it, yeah. Well, I mean, if there's other stuff going on, but... It, I wonder, yeah, who knows, I mean... But, but having read uh, about him and when he passed on the articles, they did talk about how... Oh, and um, Doug Stanhope in his book uh, of comedy stories, road stories and comedy stories, talks about Mitch Hedberg a bit and says, yeah, it was really more towards the end. He got into this harder stuff and, you know, articles talked about how he never got a, a complaint about a show, but then at a certain, like complaints started coming in. Um, mm. and I guess that's when he was getting into the, yeah, the stuff that did him in. Well, you hear that with a lot of musicians too. And, uh, they claim, or you hear that they'll do really great shows where they're on some other level because the drugs are some doorway to creativity or whatever, but then for every one of those, there's some show where they're bombing because obviously drugs have that aspect on your body too, you know? Well, Bobcat Goldthwait, I'm sure he's not the only one talked uh, talked about back in the day doing shows on acid. Good Lord. Can you imagine doing comedy? That's like Hendrix though. He would stick him in his bandana and shit. But I mean, to to do comedy though too, I mean, you know, it's tough enough getting up in front of a room like, like... You're being looked at. So are they all looking at me? Yeah, they are. And they're expecting the you one to that makes them. sense, which was huge in the scene in the eighties, especially was Coke. Because right. Yeah. If, especially if your act is something like Robin Williams, you're, you, you know, got to keep your energy. People are like, wow, he's so animated. Yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're, he is. <laughs> the, the hours you're working, everything. Yeah. 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 That's right. Shit. Um, I think we're like, I mean, I could talk to you forever, but, uh, I think we're. Oh running, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's going to kill me. Well, I do have to I'm ask kidding. you the, the season two question before we get out of here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you got to play me on the arcade one round, too. That's, okay. I haven't had the, the opportunity for so long. Oh, and you know what? I forgot the wall thing. I had it last you can, time. You live close, so bring yeah, it over. Yeah, I'll bring it over. I'll bring it over. I wanted to give a plug for the wall. Can I do a quick plug sure, for the yes, wall? Sure, yes, All right. of course. It's a sticker that says it's got a, a cool sort of stylized outline of a dog and it says save res dogs and it's mm. got uh, Cree syllabics uh, for dog in, in the dog. It's a sticker, like a you could bumper sticker, put it on your laptop or put it on the wall, but save res dogs. They are an indigenous grassroots organization that does fundraising. They'll sell stickers, they'll sell coffee mugs. I got one of their coffee mugs. They'll take donations that gets vets to northern and remote communities. They do spay and neuter clinics. They do training. It's not just dogs. They'll deal with cats and any other animals. Uh, because, you know, some of these, the, the people are struggling. And, of course, we need to think of them. But, of course, there's a lot of animals around there, too. So this is just a great group. I, I, you know, they're the good guys and the good gals. I mean, they're just doing something really good. Um, so save res dogs. I'll bring the yeah, sticker. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. We'll edit a shot of it into the show. And well. uh, it sounds like it's small enough that you can get it on the prime real estate that'll actually be on camera. Oh, yeah, it'll week, fit. So. Oh, it'll fit. Yeah, anywhere. That's Awesome, right. man. Yeah, you come back anytime. You live close and stick it up there. But the season hey. two question I'm going to ask you now. <laughs> and I'll bring, the, I... I'll bring the sticker as well. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, that you have never met before, who would it be and why? Anyone. We're talking anyone, as anyone. long as you've never met them. Like just not, doesn't have to be just in comedy. No, no, anyone in, in, it could be Julius Caesar. It could be, uh, you know, your grandfather you never met. It could be someone who's still alive right now that you just want to meet. Well, you know, it might be, for me, stereotypical to say it might be someone like Tecumseh. Okay. Who was a a First Nations leader way back in the uh, early days. He was fighting off the U.S. Army. Uh, at the time, and he was trying to unite all the tribes. They call them tribes in the States. It's not offensive in the States to say tribes. Um, 
all the tribes together as a way to stand, not, not just, not just as a military alliance to, to fight, but, but, but to stand together to fight, but also to push back. Like, and he tried to unite all of, of the tribes. Hmm. Um, so someone like that would be interesting to talk to about what, uh, what they were thinking. And he eventually got killed in battle, which you'd almost say was inevitable given, you know, the, uh, well, you know, the U S was coming at them with, with everything they had. I'm sure they saw um, him as a huge threat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And he was a visionary and I mean, they won battles. Um, so someone like that would be interesting. Would you have been able to communicate with him? Do you think he spoke English? We'd probably, no, we need an interpreter. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know that he spoke English. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he did probably like to really understand him. We'd probably need, uh. To speak That's in a very language. cool answer, though. But someone like that would be really interesting because that was the early days too. When I, you know, at a certain, it could have kind of gone either way. I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, as settlement increased and the just by a pure numbers game, you know, it was getting even. The indigenous people were realizing, okay, you know, we got to find a way. Like, I mean, that's partly, you know, where the treaties in the states came from. Like, can, how can we work this out? Yeah. Um, it would be interesting to, like, get his take on the times and what he was trying to do. And, uh, you know, he talked a lot about his vision of uniting all the tribes. Not that they'd all be the same, and that's not the point, but What do you uh, think he would unity. think of, of the current state of things? I, Probably not so great. <laughs> my guess is... Well, obviously not the residential schools. Everyone's against yeah, that but, shit. But. but you know what? But my guess would be he'd probably say this was probably inevitable. And this mm. is what I was hoping we could push back against either peacefully or militarily or both, you know, try to find mm. some accommodation. And I bet, I, well, <laughs> who am I to say? He might say, you know, that's what you should be doing now too. You know, come together, respect your differences, you know, the way, the way allies can, that the, the Cree aren't the Mohawk and the Mohawk aren't the Denny, but come together in what unites you and, uh, stand together where you can, um, go your own way when it's right. And when you, and when you should, when you need to, but when you can come together, um, you know, that's, that's, there, there's a lot of power there. And humans need to be coming together yeah. and uniting in a larger scale. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, a great answer, man. A great uh, way to end this episode. And I thank you again for coming again. And, uh, Thanks for everyone for checking it out. You know, it's uh, it's great to be here, and I know um, you know there's uh, neither of us have any great mission, but uh, this is exactly what we've been talking about in so many ways: communicating, yes. dialogue, engagement, learning. That's that's no, what this I, is about. I this consider it a privilege to be able to talk to someone with so much information and education on these topics to enlighten me where I'm clearly lacking. And uh, yeah, it's the best anything anyone can do is just keep trying to connect. Absolutely, and kudos to you for for engaging in the conversation. Yeah, man. And thanks uh, for stopping. I'm sure you'll be back again sometime now that I know you live so close. I live, I'll, I'll be back with the sticker. For True. Sure. Yeah. Save, right. re, save res dogs. Well, we're going to play the arcade. <laughs> Thank you for watching. Bye. Oh, I got to pee though. <laughs> Give me five seconds. No problem.